The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. You know, juiced up with stem cells. You feel any different? Are we live yet? <laughs> yeah, we're live. Oh, we are? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I feel... I don't know. You said I can't do anything for a few days, though. Yeah, you got you. You really should be taking time off. Like we were talking about how Shane Dorian went down to Tijuana and he got like this full body stem cell treatment. They injected his discs and they did all this jazz. And they told him don't do anything for eight weeks. Yeah, you like walk, but you know just let that. it heal. Let it heal. Eight weeks. I know it's hard. Hey, could I get a little more volume? Oh, you can turn it right there. Oh wait, You're on that little oh, thing. Here? Yeah. We're like a radio station now. We got like real equipment. Okay. You got a cough button oh, too. You have to cough. <coughs> see? <laughs> pretty cool. That's pretty. See, I don't have this. See, I'm bare bones. I'm like, you know, Mattel version podcast. You're like, the you're hype. way ahead of me when I started. I started with a webcam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, fucking, yeah. I know, I mean, but you're the godfather. You kind of, you're the OG. I definitely am not. No, Adam Curry's the godfather. He's the podfather. Mm. He was doing it like five years before me, at least. Hmm. At least five years before me. Well, you caught up. Yeah, I caught up. <laughs> but he yeah. does it like much more underground. Like he stays, he's got everything. How does he have his setup? Everything is like subscription based. He do, I don't think he even has advertisers. They have, tied, they have it tied into crypto, so everything's yeah. bits. You can tip with bits and stuff and yeah. it's distributed. But he's a like super nerd. He's into all that crypto shit. I just, it's too much for me. I like bow hunting. That's yeah, all, I that's all I'm into. I don't have time for this crypto stuff. Right. I, I I believe in it. I think it's it holds promise. Every now and then, one of those FTX things happens where everybody loses billions, and I'm like, yeah, yes. exactly. See? That's why I didn't get involved in any of that shit. Right. There's a few of those companies that tried to get me involved in sponsors and mm -hmm. stuff like that, and do ads and i was like what are you doing what is this Coins? and also those what about those card things oh uh you mean an nft yeah yeah see that is not real i, I guess it's sort of an nft but that's really just an art gift from oh. this guy beeple and beeple who is this uh really cool artist who puts up a new piece of art every day oh. 365 days a year he does stuff like that and it's all have you ever seen his stuff i think maybe but, pull, up, pull up Beeple's Instagram. It's wild, wild shit. Yeah, I want to But look. he actually has a gallery. And in his gallery, he has things like this, but enormous ones. Mm -hmm. Like big giant things that mm -hmm. he's made and all these. like It's really cool stuff. So that's a different kind of an NFT. Yeah, you know, that's like pretty sick. His, his NFTs are, you're getting digital, actual digital art. And it actually comes like... This thing that he sent us, it's mm -hmm. like it it moves. It's got like a little QR code, and you can scan yeah. that. It's and pretty cool. Yeah, it's a different sort of experience. But for the most part, I think the NFT shit, that's Sam Bank from Free to Jail. Whack it off to pictures of his ex. <laughs> that's that, him. That was, Put that picture awesome. up. Yeah, that's, that's, that's his cell. He's got the other oh guy on the wall with his eyes crossed out. That's the guy that ratted him out. Oh, An iHeart. See, there's a lot. Look at and his, what is that's that? That's his ex-girlfriend. See his lotion there? Yes. L Luberderm. Hilarious. I mean, <laughs> this is the kind of shit this guy does, and he does it that every is funny. day. Hilarious. That he's is a, funny. he's a super cool guy too. We had him in. Yeah. He was a lot of fun. Mm. So 
that I understand. That is digital art. I mm-hmm. understand that. But there's a lot of the NFTs, like the Board Ape Yacht Club. Yeah. I was like, what is it? What is it? What? Yeah. Uh, for a while there, it seemed like everybody was making like millions. I'm like, so what? What do I got to do here? <laughs> <laughs> and so, can I make a hunting photo an NFT and just make a bunch of money, or how does this work? I think a lot of people thought that at first, and mm-hmm. maybe if you hopped on the bandwagon at the very beginning before everybody kind of woke up. There's no, there's no there, there, right? So like, here's the thing, like people are like, well, it's yours and you own it, nobody can. Yeah, but I could take a screenshot of it and I have it on my phone. Yeah. And it's where weird. are you going to look at it other than your phone? Like, I literally have what someone paid a million dollars for if I wanted to get a screenshot of yeah. it. Yeah. I could get that, and then it's on it. my phone. It's not even it. a different resolution. Hmm. Like what? Oh, it's, but it's not in your crypto wallet. Okay. <laughs> I guess you win. I love this argument. It's fun. But, like, that's the same. Like, do you have a screenshot of the Mona Lisa on your phone? You don't own the Mona Lisa. That's no, like, that's no, 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 no. It's very different because the Mona Lisa is a physical painting made by a master artist that's in a frame, and you could look at it and you could ponder the thought behind it, the artistic expression, the technique in brush strokes and painting. This What's, guy from hundreds and hundreds of years ago created yeah. this masterpiece that but endures today. Can you do that on your phone too? I mean, yeah. you could like. What about yeah, that but one it's the, a uh... pain. Look, if you had a, a copy of the Mona Lisa and mm-hmm. like a print, and you put that on your wall, I could. I mean, that still has merit. That's still yeah. a piece of art. Mm-hmm. But like the board ape, ape yacht club, you could pull up one of them. Well, board I was going to say with, with, with this, with the Salvatore Monday, it would solve okay. that. It would solve a lot of the problem with this because you would have known that mm-hmm. Leonardo made it because when it was first printed and he made it for sale, ideally five hundred years ago. It would have been on the blockchain and like the history of that would have been known and there was only one of them made and all of that hmm. if it was an nft 500 years ago if it, it, i'm saying like if it was equivalent to what nfts are now you would have this the, the problem that existed with that whole documentary and like who made it was it repainted and all that kind of stuff would never have been that whole thing would have never existed okay but this that's not the best example i see what you're saying that's but an example though I'm yeah this is a way more complicated story do you know about that thing Go back to that image no. again, please. Mm-mm. That thing is wild because mm. that is supposedly a lost Leonardo da Vinci. Mm. Supposedly. Uh, but the problem is there's a whole documentary on it. Is it called The Last Le- the Lost Leonardo? Is that the documentary? It sounds right. I mean, the pic- picture is called Salvatore Mundi. Right. What is the documentary, the documentary about? But that painting was the most expensive painting, I believe, ever sold. Mm. Or one of the most expensive. And they auctioned it at Christie's, and it sold for $450 million. Yeah. Now, here's the problem with it. Most of that painting has been recreated. Mm. Most of that painting has been touched up by a modern artist. Mm. It's this woman. And they show her doing it over, like, I think it was over a decade Mm. of working just on this one you know, like 36 by 24 or whatever the size painting is. It's not a very big painting. This lady worked on this one painting. So I think some... So she influenced it? Not just influenced it. Yeah. Most of the work is Mm. her work. Mm. Like, show the original... This is what happened. Someone found it somewhere at some sale, and they bought it for, like, really cheap. And then as they're starting to go over this, it's all documentary in this lost Leonardo movie. As they're starting to go over it, they start thinking, like, I think this is Leonardo da Vinci's work. Hmm. And so then it sells for quite a bit more. But then 
they have it brought to this lady who's an art restorer, and she retouches it. But there's a lot of problems with it. And some of the problems are that it seems like it was multiple times it was painted over, and it, it seems like more than one artist painted it. And the what they had originally versus what it is now looks very different. Hmm. Like, see if you can find. Right, so here's an. I mean, I'm trying to find the correct example that you're describing, but here's one example of it. This was a this is 1913 version of it, and then it got cleaned up in 2005. Wow. Mm. Right, but there was a way worse version of it that they bought. Well, the, so yeah, yeah. I mean, so that was two two years later. That's Here's it. the restored that's the version one. where they took everything off of it. Yeah. Mm. So, th so is that what that is? Like all so those white says, stripes is the restored says version? Clean state. Clean state. Okay. So they had to take off the paint that was put on to clean it up after they restored it in nineteen. What was it? I mean, that the this first was just year that it was found in a collection in like the early 1900s. I think that was the other one that was yeah, restored, like the pencil one. Yeah, yeah that one right there. So. So the one on the left, they were saying, like, maybe this is Leonardo. And so they clean it up. Hmm. But then this lady goes and paints over it. Yeah. So, like, look, go back back oh, up, please. Sorry. Go back up to that. So that image is kind of fucked up. Like, mm -hmm. if, if you're going to buy that, how much is that worth? Right. I mean, it's beautiful. Like, look at the hand. It's yeah. incredible. You would think, well, maybe this is Leonardo da Vinci. But so then this lady goes over the whole thing and then show the final version. That's what I was trying to I think it's at the bottom. Okay. And the final version is pretty stunning. This is the after restorations on the right. Yeah. But it's during so, restoration on the left. It's so much more detailed mm -hmm. than the original one that was all fucked up. Yeah. So like is that a Leonardo or is there, or is it that lady who did yeah. it? It seems like it's that lady. It's a collab. Yeah, it's a collab. <laughs> but that's not how it's being sold at. No. If you get the Mona Lisa, that's the fucking Mona Lisa. Yeah, right. I mean, that is Leonardo da Vinci's work, and they kept it in pristine condition for all these years. This is like some weird shit. So MBS, the ruler of Saudi Arabia, owns mm -hmm. it, and he just keeps it on a yacht. The Mona Lisa? Mm -hmm. No, that thing. Oh, that the one. lost Leonardo. He uh, tried to make a deal. Apparently, they talk about this in the documentary, that he wanted to put it at the Louvre in Paris next to the the original Mona Lisa. And the people in Paris were like, yeah, and this, we don't even know what this is. Take four of those. Four? Yeah, I'd take four or six if you want to be smart. I didn't take this whole bottle. Come on, man. We're we're, uh, we're shooting you up with stem cells. We're giving you alpha brain. Oh, you're, you're having the full Austin experience here, Cam Haynes. Mm -hmm. So uh, here's these goofy apes. I don't know if yeah. that's why we brought it up. Well, those are worth millions. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Jamie bought these. I have one. <laughs> Did you know the last time we mentioned his T-shirts and he made? Ah, yeah, it was a nice little pop. Three thousand dollars. Which ones? The pull that up Jamie t-shirts? Which t-shirts? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was mostly, I think. We sold. just did a little mention at, at the end of the podcast because he said he had this big spike in sales. And he's like, what the hell happened on this day? And it was like uh, us talking because I mentioned something about young Jamie. The best one is the, uh, I looked into it, the rainbow. That's a fun one. I was thinking of giving that to Grush. I didn't have it in my head on time. Like he's looked uh, into it the most. <laughs> Yeah, he's looked into it the most. So you were saying that you're on the fence, off the fence yeah, about the, Grush. The story I was hearing is it's just it's a it's a lot. I, with I'm going to skip a lot of it, but what I was reading and slash what they were saying is that one possibility that could be going on is there is in. I think we're taking in some of Graham Hancock stuff too. If if people were around on Earth 500,000 years ago, mm -hmm. in some way, there was some split in a second set of humans continued on 
and we're like in this interdimension space where they're both happening simultaneously. And that's where like if he was saying this, no, 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 no. Uh, this is from the I'm gathering this all from like that video. I'm adding in some agreement Hancock stuff too because this kid and also interviewed him, Jesse Michaels, on his on his podcast. Okay. And they're talking about some of the same stuff, but. Something they said in the Grush interview on his podcast was that uh, an idea would be that these people exist on a on like a split uh, timeline from us. Like we had cataclysms and died and repopulated and whatnot. Now we've ended in this place in 2023 with combustion engines and we're flying around. These people would have been in a different anti-gravity. Who knows what they figured out? And they went somewhere else? I think I don't know. They're not even saying that. This is where like they're not going to talk. I don't. They haven't talked about that. But I think what they're saying or getting or getting at maybe is that they're here, and that's why the nuclear thing is so um, uh, important to them. They're on the same planet as us, and if we blow up the planet, it goes away. For so them they're too. here. We just don't know where they are. And that's where the interdimension thing comes in. I. I that's what I'm gathering out of what I've How heard. How high were you when you came up with this? Theory? It's, it's not. I don't think I'm saying it's my theory. This is what they're sort of saying. And Grush is sort of like. That's an interesting thing you're saying. Mm. He's not confirming it with them or anything, but mm. it was. Uh, it's a lot to take in. That's definitely for sure. Yeah, it's all a lot to take in. We David Grush is that UFO whistleblower mm-hmm. that testified in front of Congress. Yeah, it's hard to say, man. The thing about it is, I believe he's telling the truth as far as what he's experienced and the documents that he uncovered and the people that he talked to, but. How do you know whether or not they're just using him as a useful idiot to just get out some silly story mm-hmm. because they're covering up for the fact that there's some very advanced drone system that the United States government has that trying to keep under wraps? Right. It might be Tough both. To know. It, I, I think it's probably both things. You, well, here's the thing. Mm. You're out in the woods all the time. Mm-hmm. You ever see a UFO? No. Ever see Bigfoot? No. Ever talked to a hunter that's seen a UFO? No. Ever talked to a hunter that's seen Bigfoot? I talked to, so. Really? The, the guys down at San Carlos, the Apache Reservation. Yeah. They said they've seen stuff. Okay. Were they on peyote? I don't know. Because I know a lot of those Indians like I don't, to get down. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I don't, and it's been Did like multiple just, times. What kind of stuff? Like square, like something square flying. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because that is the thing that they describe, right? It's a square with a sphere inside of it, like a black. Uh, no, the opposite. Yeah, uh, a sphere with a black square inside yeah, like of a it. Force yeah, field or something. I was fucked up. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. I don't know anybody other than that. That's a that's the first story I've heard from somebody who mm. I have talked to. Well, that kind of makes sense. Because yeah. That, that thing they do spot. That's a common one. Mm. Some flying square. Inside a sphere, mm-hmm. like a translucent sphere, and that's uh, like legitimate pilots have seen that. That's a weird one, right? Is uh, that my theory? And this is totally unfounded without any research whatsoever. It's just those are the best around. kind. This is my favorite kind of theories. <laughs> my theory is that they have this ability to make something move in this insane way with gravity, but they can't put a body in it, and they can't put weapons in it. They can't. It's just an object that they can get to move at insane rates of speed. Mm. That's what I think. I think the military applications of this thing have yet to be figured out, but I think they do have something that can do things that we have no knowledge of. Mm. But the United States government is probably, they probably have in their possession something that was either back-engineered from something from somewhere else or something that they developed 
in a completely top secret environment with the top research scientists probably during the wars, during World War II and three or three, uh, Vietnam. <laughs> That's and, impending. And in Iraq and Afghanistan, you think about the amount of money that gets funneled, funneled through the government mm -hmm. and that they, they don't, I mean, didn't the Pentagon just for the sixth year in a row fail their audit? Imagine Probably. if you failed your audit six yeah, years in a row. I Boy, they'd crawl up your ass with a fucking microscope. Yeah. I think, is that what it was? Uh, they ever passed it? But yeah, they that is correct. It says they failed sixth audit with number <laughs> passing grades. So there's a lot of money flowing around is my point. Yeah. And who knows how much of that money is going to these secret programs that we don't know about. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And if they did that and they did have the top scientists and if I was the fucking president and I was uh, the chief of staff and I was running the Pentagon, I would want the best scientists. So I'd mm -hmm. recruit the best scientists and I'd said, hey, you know, this is national security. We're working on this project. It uses gravity propulsion. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. But you get to work on some cool shit. Yeah. And, and you get make paid a lot of money. You get paid a lot of money yeah. and you get to be a part of one of the most insane discoveries in human history. So this is what we're working on. Yeah. I, I think that's likely too. But then you got to go back to like the Foo Fighters from the 1940s and the crash at Roswell. And that you also have to be open to the possibility that like, look, there's a lot of planets out there. Mm -hmm. A lot of planets out there. It's very possible that we're not alone. Yeah. It seems like we would have found something by now. If you could go to another planet bow hunt. That'd be sick. I wouldn't do it. No. Imagine if you be the first guy to eat a deer from another planet and you just fucking die instantly. <laughs> That's a good way to go. No, it's I, not. It's a dumb yeah. way to go. The good no, way it's... to go is to send some some fucking prisoners over there. Send some murderers. Send some like school shooters. I well <laughs> send we, them over there to eat a space deer. <laughs> I, I guess you could yeah test them out. Yeah. Just say either you kill this and eat it or you die because there's no food. So good luck, and then see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. I like so, but. It, some housekeeping real quick. Thank you for getting me down here for the stem cells. My pleasure. So, ways to well. Shout out to ways to well. Yeah, that's, that's good. And I, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I like that. Um, you know, I had blokes is kind of coming on too. They offer the same th ways to well offers the same thing, but it seems like those type of outfits are really going to gain popularity because of the distrust in the medical. Yes. Whatever. Like your, your regular doctor, that was telling you, oh, yeah, you got to get this vaccine, this and that. And now it's, you know, obviously there's distrust there. So I think people are thinking, do I need a doctor? What do I, What's a doctor for? Just pushing prescriptions on me? So now they can kind of take their health into their own hands, get their blood panels done, see where they are, um, you know, on a bunch of different markers. And that's what Ways to Well and Blokes does. And I think a lot of people are going to be doing that instead of calling their their right family doctor well a lot of family doctors unfortunately just don't have that knowledge base they don't understand yeah. peptides they'll tell you not to take things and they don't have any knowledge of it themselves and you talk to them and they have a pot belly you know well you don't need any vitamins you can mm -hmm. get everything you want from a balanced diet while they're eating cheeseburgers so like, well it's like, and they do that you're like your markers and they're saying well this is say with test they'll say well your testosterone is within a normal range normal range yeah normal compared to Another fucking normal guy. You see the normal American these days? Yeah. I don't want to be anywhere near that guy. Right. I want to be like my own category. Optimized. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Optimize. Mm. 
um, built for performance, mm-hmm. you know, get your body at the highest level, not compared to the average American. Right. So that's where, I don't know. Well, there's a lot of peptides that are very beneficial, and some of them they've even pulled from the market because they're beneficial. It's one of the things they did with thymosin. Thymosin was used during COVID. A lot of people were using it to help them recover from COVID, so they pulled it. Mm-hmm. So they made it so you can't access thymosin. Because they they're, they're trying to make money off of exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. And these compounding pharmacies can make it, and they make it fairly cheaply. It's not expensive. Mm-hmm. And they, they're doing that with BPC-157 as well because so many athletes use BPC-157. It's a very common one for helping heal injuries, and it works. works really well. I know a lot of people that use it. A lot of f- fighters can't use it, unfortunately, uh, but a lot of jiu-jitsu guys use it. It's MMA a- fighters in the UFC at least can't so use it. So they test for it? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think they should because I, I think what it does is help you heal. And I think if you're in a sport that – literally most of the time you're getting smashed mm-hmm. most of the time you're getting kicked and punched and you're always dealing with injuries wouldn't we want to help these guys get to the finish line like get to the fight because a lot of injuries like gordon ryan was supposed to compete uh, the beginning of december and then the end of december uh in jiu-jitsu and he just fucked his rib up he just tore his rib mm. this is a normal thing mm-hmm. that happens with jiu-jitsu guys it's a normal thing that happens with ufc guys but Gordon will have access to ways to well, and they'll give him all the best peptides. They'll figure out what's the best protocol in order to help heal that. And he'll get back on track much quicker than someone if they were fighting in the UFC who had no access to those things because they're being constantly tested. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they should test for that. You know, I think they should figure out, like, what's cheating and what's just helping you heal. Mm-hmm. And let's, you know, let's not let guys take trend and fucking D-ball and all this crazy shit. Yeah, let's not do that. But I don't see any problem with things like BPC-157 that are just all it's going to do is help your body heal yeah. quicker. Right. That's what we want. We want to yeah. get better quicker. You're in the business of breaking bodies. Yeah. You're in the business of literally kicking guys' legs out from under them and punching them in the stomach. Like, we should have some shit that makes you heal quicker. Right. Just be yeah. healthy. It's not gaining an advantage right. over another fighter. The only advantage is you won't be injured as long, mm-hmm. which is a very good thing that we should apply to everyone. And it's not dangerous. doesn't have horrible side effects. It's not mm-hmm. something that's scary and it's going to fuck up your reproductive system. It doesn't do any of those things. It right. just helps you heal faster. Mm-hmm. And I think these organizations, UFC and all the other ones as well, they should embrace all these different things and just stop treating it like the problem is really it was baseball. This is the problem. This is where everybody got it in their head that it's cheating. Mm-hmm. It was Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And when those guys were on that fucking home run competition and they were cracking them out of the park and they both looked like superheroes. <laughs> it was awesome. It was Don't awesome. Don't forget Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds, right? Yeah. Barry Bonds as well. But yeah, that was like, that was a heyday of baseball. Oh. So you're trying to make people not care? Yeah. And, but those guys were juiced to the tits. And baseball, which is the American pastime, mm-hmm. we associated steroids and baseball with cheating. Balco. He's a cheater. We're yeah. not cheaters. We're Americans. Right. You know, but listen, if you could get a hold of any NFL player in between camp, like, what, what, what are the odds? Yeah. <laughs> what are the odds? They're not sportsman of the year. What year I was know. that? doing it i think whatever like uh, why are they wearing yeah. togas because they're gladiators what but the gladiators were togas i don't know who's who wears togas those guys were <laughs> oh animal house yeah i guess <laughs> they were with john belushi 
Yeah, look at Mark McGuire with the glass of milk and the baseball bat. That's hilarious. Yeah, like, it, if milk it, gave him the, those guns. <laughs> the size of those guns. Going, going, yeah. gone. I'm drinking want, milk. Let's see Barry Bonds. I want to see him. Oh, Barry Bonds got super jacked. I know. He, he was so good jacked. just naturally. Mm-hmm. And then he added all that muscle and was Oh, look at this. Yeah, if they could allow those guys to do the sauce, look how skinny he was at first, and I then know. boom. But he was so good when he was yeah. skinny. Yeah. Oh, he was great yeah. in the beginning, and yeah. then got that extra horsepower from all that all that clear, the stuff they were rubbing on him. <laughs> I know. I had that guy on, the guy from Balco. Victor What was his name? Victor Conte. Conte? Yeah. 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 And he explained it all and how it's all done and what they did. Well, Very I'm, fascinating. Yeah, because I remember uh, McGuire said he was taking, like, Androl, or it was some supplement you could buy. Androstein Dion. Oh, that's yeah. what, and it just mm-hmm. skyrocketed off the shelves. Yeah, he probably took that too. Yeah, you know, I know that stuff did work. It gave you a little bump. I, I couldn't tell stuff. you, I couldn't tell you what I take that works because I take thirty different things. Right. So I, he probably wasn't lying. He's like, yeah, I take this, and here's the results. But yeah, I take a handful of. Who knows what? I take a lot more stuff now after that Gary Brecker podcast. I started taking methylated B vitamins and all sorts of other stuff that he was that a good one? I didn't listen to that one. Oh, was it's it a good? Fucking great one. That's yeah. a great one. Holy shit, he goes deep. Mm. Yeah. That's an amazing one. Mm. He changed Dana White's life. I mean, Dana White was basically on death's door. And he put him on a ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. Now Dana looks fucking 15 years younger. He does, yeah. It looks amazing. Well, he's in this light bed. He got this red light bed every day, and his face just looked better. One of the things that happens when you lose fat, and this definitely happened to me recently, you lose fat in your face, so your face starts to sink in around mm. here. It kind of looks like shit. You need Botox. No. You know, that's not going to help because it's, it's you're losing face fat. Oh. You know, and it's also collagen. You don't have as much collagen as you're older as you do when right. you're younger. So if you're a younger person, you have a lean face. It doesn't look as bad as when you're an older person. Mm. You know who said that once? William Shackner. Mm. He was like 80 years old. He's talking about how he gains weight because it, it keeps the wrinkles away. Because <laughs> it well, keeps a fat face and you don't have as many wrinkles. My daughter watches all these like before and after things. So it's like, I think, buckle fat removal. I think buckle fat is somewhere on your face. Buckle? I don't know what, Jamie, what's buckle fat? Buckle fat. Yeah, I think it's like what you're talking about maybe. Well, what I'm talking about is when you, if you're a fat person, you're not going to have a gaunt face. Right. But if you're a person who loses weight, here it is, buckle, oh, B-U-C-C-A-L, fat removal. Yeah, oh, so they take that out so they have more like the high cheekbones. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? So it's like sculpting. Yeah. yeah, see like that so you're on making the your left face there. Sculpting. Right. So that's you're just doing that naturally. You're more sculpted. Yeah, I'm just I lost a lot of face fat for sure. Mm-hmm. I lost a lot of body fat. <clears throat> but that's all from carnivore diet. That changed everything for me. How come has Dana ever been on the podcast? Yeah, he's he been has. On. Yeah, oh. yeah, he's been on. When? Oh, a while back. He'll do it again. Oh, I'm okay. sure he'll do it again. I don't man, I never remembered him being on. Yeah, he was just at the club the other night. Came to the club uh, oh. Thursday night, Wednesday night, Wednesday night. Yeah, oh, okay. just a couple nights ago. Oh, good. Yeah, I was coming to hang out. Yeah. He's great. I love that dude. He looks fucking amazing. He does. I know. He looks so good. He looks yeah. so much. And it looks and, like a different person. But at first, his face was looking gaunt, kind of like mine does, where you're like your cheeks sunk in. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if you want a six pack or you want a fat face, you know, you don't get both. If you got a fat face, you don't get a six pack. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a given. <laughs> and take. if you want a six pack, your face gets thinner. 
but this red light thing is like plumped up his face mm. with collagen and it just looks so healthy. His skin looks so healthy. Yeah. I'm really impressed. But his energy level is so different. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. But uh, he doesn't eat any sugar anymore. He doesn't drink alcohol anymore. And he's just fucking super healthy. No alcohol, huh? No alcohol. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure occasionally maybe he'll have a drink, but he yeah. does not drink like regularly. What's the next big fight? Well, there's a nice card this uh, next weekend in Austin that we're going to go see. Mm-hmm. Pumped about that. That should be fun. But then the big one is Colby versus um, uh, Leon. Leon Edwards in Vegas. So for the welterweight title. And that's that. that's a couple weeks from now. That's mm-hmm. a big one. That's oh. a big one. That one's big. That one's exciting. Ooh, that's a good one. What else is that card? Pull up that card, Jamie. Tony. Oh, that's all right. Tony and Patty Pimblett. Tony's training with David Coggins, which is crazy. <laughs> I know. Oh, Pantoja versus Brandon Royval for the flyweight uh, world title. And Shavkat Rachmanov versus oh. uh, Wonderboy. Woo! That's going to be a good one. And Vicente Luque versus Ian Gary. Woo! Those are good fights. That's yeah. a good fight. I'm very interested to see Tony after he's been training with David Goggins. There's a lot of like very mixed reviews about whether or not that would be a good thing or a bad thing for him. Yeah, I see. I, I read a bunch of those comments. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like, who else is on it? Oh, Josh Emmett's on that fight against Giga? Oh, Giga Chikadze is on that My, fight, too. Look at this card. Cody Garbrandt and Brian Kelleher. Oh, shit. This is all on the home. Oh. Dustin Jacoby and Alonzo Menafield. Wow. These are, these are good fucking cards, yeah, son. Is. This is a good card. Holy shit. Yeah. Go all the way back down there again, please. That card is fucking stacked. Yeah. That that uh, Cody fight will be good with Brian Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Randy good. Brown versus Muslim Salikoff is a fucking killer fight, too. Mm. These are good fights, yeah. man. Holy shit. That's a card from yeah. top to bottom. Yeah, that's a really good card. How many fights is that? 13 fights. 14? 14. 13 that's in the a, world That's title. a long day for you. Ooh, yeah, that's a long day. Mm-hmm. This fun, though. Who's going to win this one right there? Very interesting fight. Very interesting fight. You know... How is Colby doing? Because he he was pretty fucked up by that sucker punch, right? Yeah, I think he's doing better now. Yeah. What yeah. What was the extent of the damage that? I'm not. I don't know what it amounted to. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Because he was suing him, and did they yeah. settle that? I think they settled. Did I read that they settled? Did you see that? Yeah. So he just said, "Pay me, bitch." <laughs> I think it was just you know proving a point. Yeah, you can't be going around sucker punching people. Yeah. that just kicked your ass. I think you it was had on, your chance to punch him. He, he had five rounds. I and think, it didn't work out at all. I think it's just uh, on principle. Yeah, I think Colby was just like, no, yeah, I'm going to make you pay. Yeah, you, well, you can't just let people get away with that. No, because then they're going to do it more often, mm-hmm. and it's going to really muddy up the sport. It's yeah. going to be a real problem. It's just, it's a crime. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're literally committing crime. Don't do that. I think. Uh, yeah, I think that I think Colby's going to get that one. You think so? I want him to. I know you do because you <laughs> like him. Yeah, I like Leon too. It's it's a good fight. I'll tell you that because uh, if you were going to pick someone, Jorge Masvidal pleads no contest to charge from altercation. This is November sixth. Oh, so this just happened. So they haven't settled it yet. Mm. I think that was the end of it. If he pleaded no contest, 
Okay, it says the plea deal said that two felony charges of aggravated assault and criminal mischief were dropped as part of the plea agreement. There is a no stay away order in the agreement. Also, a no stay away order. What does that mean? That like what's a, a no stay away? I could understand a stay away like order, like a restraining order, I but think not it? a no stay away. There is no stay away order, is what it's saying. There yeah. But it also, says there's also no stay away order in the agreement. Right. There isn't a stay away. So order. he doesn't have to stay away. So they can hang out with each other. Yeah. Uh, the 30, 38 year old has been facing over ten years in prison. The case stems from altercation. Punched him twice, breaking his tooth, even causing an alleged brain injury. The incident occurred just a few weeks after coming and defeated Masvidal by unanimous decision in the main event. Uh, Masvidal says, I just beat the case. I want to thank God. I also want to thank my attorney because I'm a free fucking man. Fuck you, Colby. <laughs> it's going to be a fucking movie now. Yeah. All these orders, all these restraining orders, all these things have been lifted off. It's going to be a fucking movie. I don't know what that means. Um, who's going to play Jorge? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a boring ass movie. Yeah. Like a guy sucker punches a guy and then gets off. That's the a end. movie. Thank you, thank yeah. you, Jesus. Yeah, I yeah. Don't... I don't know if it's gonna be a movie. Yeah, uh, I but... think that brain injury. That's just maybe he had a concussion. Yeah, I mean, so he probably that... had a concussion. I mean, if he got sucker punched, yeah. most likely he got a concussion. Mm -hmm. The but... thing is, like, you can only get so many so many of those in your life. Yeah, and if you get a big one right before you're gonna fight Leon Edwards. It's good that he took a lot of time off because he did take a lot of time off. Yeah, he did. It was like two years, right? Yeah, almost. Yeah. Be pretty close. Um, Leon is fucking good, man. That's a good fight. But if you wanted to pick someone who would have a really good shot at Leon, it would be someone who's an elite grappler, who has an incredible gas tank, who can push a ferocious pace. Mm -hmm. That's Colby. And Colby wades right into the fire. He starts it off like that just to, I think, keep him honest. Mm -hmm. You know, he'll come in throwing bombs mm -hmm. because they know he wants to take him down. Mm -hmm. So he's got to keep that honest, I think, and just like yep. get him thinking about the big punches too. Yeah, he's got to get him thinking that this isn't just takedowns. Mm -hmm. And if you just think about takedowns, I'm, I'm throwing haymakers your way. Yeah. He's fucking good, man. I yeah. mean, everybody other than Usman got fucked up by Colby. Mm -hmm. Everybody. And... The Usman that faced Leon Edwards, man, I don't want to make excuses for Usman, but there is a reality of that guy's knees. Yeah. And it's an inescapable reality that I know firsthand. I've talked to him about it. I know people that have treated him. I know his knees are so fucked up. It is just his mind yeah. that allows him to compete at that level. We were talking about it during the last fight. When you see the difference between his upper body mm -hmm. and his legs. Right. His legs are like smooth and they're not that muscular. And then you look at his upper body, he's a he's fucking superhero. Yeah. He's his upper body's so much bigger because he can't do much with his legs, man, mm -hmm. which is so crazy. Yeah. And this guy's one of the greatest UFC welterweight champions in history. And, and he compromised. Did it yeah. With fucked up knees. Yeah. He has to walk backwards downstairs. Yeah. That's uh that's insane what he did. Insane. I mean, but how old is he now? Thirty six, thirty seven. Yeah. So. And then he just lost to uh, Hamzat, yeah. which is, uh, it's just, boy, look, when that fight was announced, I was like, ooh, that's a great fight. But if I was in Kamaro's ear. It was a short notice, too. If I was in Kamaro's ear, I'm like, dude, mm -hmm. no. And I would have said that same thing to Volkanovski. I said, no. Not on short no, notice. Not 10 days. You're the world champion. You're yeah. not just the world champion. You're one of the best ever. Yeah. And you have a real opportunity to go down in history as the greatest of all time. Then he gets head kicked mm -hmm. with a 10-day camp. 
and he gets knocked out, like that's that counts. Well, and it also can change your career. A hundred percent. Yeah. And a head kick like that could change your life. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the extent of the damage is, but there's been some head kicks where, yeah, like Terry Edom, when Terry Edom fought Edson Barboza, Edson Barboza wheel kicked Terry Edom in the head, and we kind of never saw Terry Edom fight at that level mm-hmm. ever again. It was a devastating kick. He wheel kicked him and just shut him off. And it was, like, I believe it was the first wheel kick knockout in the history of the UFC. Mm. I'm pretty sure. And it was perfect. Yeah. It was just like the perfect example of how devastating that kick is when applied properly. And Terry Adam was a, like a world-class contender. And he kind of never was the same again, and he disappeared. Yeah, that's a risk. I mean, everybody likes somebody who will go out on their shield and take any fight and like always game, but mm-hmm. man. 10 days is not enough. What's a risk? Because obviously he wasn't in shape, so he's having to lose all that weight, you know, 30 mm-hmm. pounds or whatever he had to lose. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be your best. No way. How no way you're going to beat your best. You're fighting the champion. But then you have the opposite, which is Tom Aspinall. Yeah. Tom Aspinall f- fights Pavlich mm-hmm. and takes that fight on two weeks' notice and becomes the interim champion and fucks his back up and can't train at all. That is Also, crazy. though, he's a heavyweight and he doesn't have to Yeah, weight. that's what I'm just going to say. The bigger guys, I think, it's not quite the same. It's not quite the same. Doesn't have to cut weight, which is a giant factor, so he doesn't have to do massive amounts of cardio, and he could literally just let his body heal. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what he was even able to do. His back apparently was pretty fucked up. Yeah. But the other good thing was that Pavlich is not a grappler. In fact, his lone loss was to Alistair Overeem, and Alistair got him down the ground and ground and bounded him. But that was very early in his career. But Aspinall... Like, that guy's, he's something special. He really is something special. He's a, a very unusual, very unusual example. Because yeah. he's a heavyweight, and he's a big guy, a really big guy, but he moves so fast. Mm-hmm. And um, his coach, uh, I think it's Colin, I forget his, how to say his last name. Um, how do you say his last name? Colin Hoon? I forget, it's from uh, Cabal. This this gym that he uh, trains at in the UK, from the time he was young, emphasized his speed. Hmm. It's like you knew he was going to be a big guy. You're always going to be a big guy. Yeah, Heron. Colin Heron. Yeah, that's it. Um, breaks down Curtis Blades challenge. Okay, so this guy who is uh, he trained Darren Till. He's uh, he looks tough himself. He, I'm sure he's tough. You don't train those guys unless you're tough. No. But the the point is that like Colin from the early days of the uh, of the career was like emphasizing his speed, and so his speed has always been like extraordinary compared to other heavyweights. Like he just fucking moves in. It's all like fast, yeah. explosive movements. So he's got natural speed, but then he's also got a lot of training to execute quickly. So when he moves in, he closed the gap. You can see like fuck, he's fast for a yeah, big guy. Right? Yeah, it's a. Uh... Yeah, uh, I don't know. And when I think of Volk, that fight, you know, was very close. He lost the first time. That was mm-hmm. at the full camp at his best. Yep. I mean. Yep. Yeah, he I think lost part and... of it was he said he didn't, he needed something to do too. Wasn't he like that yeah. idle time was killing him? Yeah, it was killing him. Mentally. But he's got a fight with. Ilya Tapuria, who is a fucking killer. Oh, my God. That and, guy punches so hard. Oh, he does everything so good. Ilya Tapuria is, uh, that guy is, he is fucking special. He's when, a real challenge. When he fought Mitchell, because I thought 
Bryce Mitchell. I mean, he's good. Bryce Mitchell's very good. And he beat the shit out of him. He beat the shit out of him. But also, Bryce Mitchell apparently was recovering I think he was from hurt. the flu. He's oh, he had, he or sick. Flu. That's right. Yeah. He, what, he said he wasn't making excuses. So, I mean. He wasn't maybe, making excuses, but here's an excuse. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I get it. He, maybe, I'm sure he's telling the truth. That was a freaking. It's a normal thing but to that happen impressed, in camp. That impressed me how good. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Taporia. Yeah. Cool. Well, then the, the Josh Emmett fight was really impressive. He beat yeah. the fuck out of Josh Emmett, and Josh Emmett is a hammer. Mm-hmm. He's a scary dude. And I think Taporia is special. He's so re- Volk's fighting him next. Yes. Oh, and he's fighting him after getting knocked unconscious. Yeah. You know, and I mean, look, all fair play to Islam because Makachev looked fucking fantastic. He made all the adjustments between the first fight and the second fight, one of the first things he did was like heavy kicks to the body from the left side, which set up that high kick, threw a lot of front kicks down the middle. I mean, he was hammering Volk from the outside. Yeah, Volk did a lot of things in the first fight that he just could not do in the second fight because Makachev had improved so much. And I think the embarrassment of having a very close fight with a guy that you're supposed to steamroll you know, and a guy who's the 145-pound champ, you're the 155-pound champ, you're talking about going to 170, and you have this incredibly close fight with this guy, and you're not able to submit him, and he's mm-hmm. laughing at you and talking shit, and at the end of the fight, he's, he's beating on top. you up. Yeah. He's on top beating yeah. you up. I think that was a very, very strong motivating factor, and Makachev just trained like a fucking monster for the second fight, yeah. which was supposed to be not... Who was it supposed to be? Um, uh, Oliveira. Yeah. supposed to be Oliveira. Mm-hmm. Oliveira gets injured. You know, but the point is, like, he was this at his guy very is, best. He's at his very best. Very and he's best. Always getting better. Yeah. He's the best pound for pound fighter in the world now. And I'm telling you, that argument could have been before that fight, it could have been Volkanovsky. You could have said Volkanovsky's the best. Even though he lost that fight, he's going up in weight, extremely close. I kind of thought he won the fight. I gave him the nod, but very close. It's not a robbery, but very close. But now you got to say, well, Makachev just was bad. He's better. He's better mm. than he was the first fight. And we don't really get a chance to see if, if Volkanovski was better. Right. Because Volkanovski didn't have a camp. No. You have to have a camp. The difference between these guys with a camp and without a camp is giant. It's like the difference between fighting at 40% and 100%. I couldn't imagine. It's crazy. I mean, mentally, you'd have to, I don't know, how could you believe in yourself? You know? That's what Kamaro said. Kamaro yeah. said he kept wondering whether or not he had the gas to go okay. yeah didn't know if he had the gas to like step on the gas and at the end of the fight you started tuning he com- did comes out up he yeah. looked good in the third yeah. round i was wishing that fight was two more rounds i was I'm wishing they just fucking figured out some shit for his knees yeah if that guy didn't have bad knees who's gonna touch him yeah he was so good in his prime god damn especially when he got his he got that power you know, at first he didn't have it. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like he was, you know, hardcore wrestling. But then, I mean, he hit Colby a couple times. We stopped Colby. But hard. how when he knocked out Masvidal with oh, one God. shot? Yeah, that was brutal. Power was lights out. Yeah, he's a real warrior, man. Yeah, but the most, the thing that impresses me the most is his his mind. The fact that he can overcome that pain. Mm-hmm. The fucking guy's in pain walking. You know. It's like Goggins. Yeah. Like, people know now because we've talked about it. Goggins just got another fucking knee surgery. Yeah. I mean, his knees- After Tony or before Tony? Before Tony. Yeah. His knees are destroyed. They're destroyed. It's bone on bone. There's Mm -hmm. nothing going on there other than two bones banging into each other, and he's running thousands of miles. The doctor looked at David's knees, and he said, I don't understand how you could walk 
never yeah. mind run a thousand miles. Right. Like, how the fuck are you doing this? And it's just the mind. Yeah. And that's the same thing with Kamaro. Kamaro mm-hmm. just, he just like puts that shit aside. How do you think that, what do you think about Tony training with David? What do you think it's going to do? I don't know. I don't know because we've never seen anybody train with David before. Yeah. You know, like you could say on one on one hand, look, clearly when the two of them are training together, David is not struggling at all. Mm-hmm. And Tony is struggling. So there is definitely some ground to gain when it comes to endurance. Yeah. yeah. Or endurance. And mental strength. Yes. Yeah. But, it, but endurance. It just it just Tony's I mean David's not even fucking tired. Mm-hmm. They're they're going side by side with each other. He's like, who's gonna carry the boats? But he's not even fucking tired. <laughs> yeah. Because he can go for days. He could just go for he's days. He's an endurance athlete. Yeah. Right. There's there's without a doubt some benefit in that. Yeah. So look at the two of them are doing that. And mm-hmm. they're doing the workouts together. Yeah. And David looks like he's like hanging out at fucking Planet Fitness. Yeah. You know, trying to pick up a chick. You know, like he's like, so what are you doing after this? You know what I mean? Like he looks yeah, like look fucking, at Tony standing up. Tony's dying. <laughs> Tony's dying. I think he pukes here one of these, yeah, on he one puked. Of these videos. I'm sure he puked a ton. But David said that Tony was the first guy to get through Hell Week with yeah. him. Yeah. Which is incredible. So they're doing miles of lunges. Mm-hmm. Miles. And David's doing all this. Look at his knees. Yeah. Destroyed knees. Yeah. And this is just a few weeks after another fucking surgery. Yeah. His they opened up his knee like a fish and sewed that bitch back up together. I don't know what the fuck they did to it. He's such a stud. He's an animal. Just yeah. a fucking pure machine. You know who hates him? Who? Weak men. Yeah. Weak men hate him. <laughs> Weak men and jealous men and people who don't know him. Yeah. He gets misunderstood, you know, unfortunately, by some people that I like. Yeah. They just, they don't, they don't look into it hard enough. And then there's, there's also, there's a natural inclination to try to find someone who's just excelling above and beyond everyone and find shortcomings in them, pick them apart, find yeah. something. Instead of just look at the message that guy's saying. All right. What is he saying? He's saying... Take control. Mm-hmm. Take control. Use your fucking mind. Take control of your life and, and be better at everything. And you can do this. And I used to be a fat fuck and look at me now. That's a great message, man. That is. That Anybody message. Use that. I mean, that message resonates with me. It resonates with you. It resonates with all the people that we know. I mean, that is a fucking message and a half. And he's living it. He's not just saying it. No. He's living it. Yeah, it's uh, I think he's a national treasure. Oh, so do I. I mean, I, you know, you have this quote, I see it's been going around on reels talking about God, there's a like a certain set of men who that are just, I, I can't remember how you say it. It's so good. I've been seeing people put, put it on their own reels, but like they're just built for, I don't know if it's chaos or something. Do you remember this? spiel you had i've said a lot of things yes i know (laughs) but it's like a good one that's go that's really popular right now but it describes people like david to a t yeah and it's uh there are there's a certain group of men who a lot of people aren't going to understand right because it's so different but to those people it's like those are the national treasure those are the people they're the beacon it's like okay that's the goal well most people they don't understand what it's like to really test yourself and to really do something that's difficult all the time. I'm doing this thing now <clears throat> where I'm, I'm running this boot camp for comedians. Yeah, I've heard you yeah. talk about it. So I did it today. Yeah. And so 
Derek Poston just joined today. Shout out to my man, Derek. So Asan Ahmad, Derek, Brian Simpson, um, Duncan Trussell, when he's in town, he wasn't in town today, and Shane Gillis. And we get after it. And mm. these guys are getting after it. That's awesome. And they start every day with 100 push-ups, 100 bodyweight squats. We do five sets. And I tell them you can't do 100, don't do 100. You can do five push-ups in a row and you're struggling, stop at five. The yeah. whole, I'm trying to build a base. Right. So I said, I don't want you to kill yourself. The whole idea here is we're just building a base. And we're going to keep going. And they've been doing it consistently. Through, this week it was four times a week. We for did how it four long? times this week. Uh, when we were at The Rock, we worked out for three hours. We no, did two but hours when did you start out. this? The boot camp? Uh, how long ago? Four weeks. Four weeks okay. now. So they're four weeks in. Yeah, nice. And we're very consistent. They should be seeing results. They're then. seeing results. Yeah. But they're seeing results in how they feel, like oh, almost I bet. immediately. I bet. Because I'm not killing them. I'm not mm -hmm. killing them. But when The Rock was here, I killed him. Yeah. When The Rock was here, I was like, dude, we're going to get after it today, boys. How'd that big fucker do? He did pretty good, except for the mobility stuff, like windmills. He yeah. struggled with windmills and he struggled with a couple of things. Windmills? Is that the yeah. thing where you do uh -huh. those? Yeah. Nobody can do those. Yeah, yeah I can do those. <laughs> yeah. You can do them. People can I do, can them. do them. Well, they require flexibility, but they require range of motion and core strength that mm -hmm. that's a real core strength thing but yeah. that is a thing those and turkish get-ups are they're not sexy mm -hmm. like they don't give you big biceps but those apply very well to functional strength like martial arts and things like that like if you got to carry a fucking elk quarter up a hill yeah they they really work for that because you can throw stuff around like your core yeah it, it can manipulate heavy things so I do it with 70 pounds, right? So I clean and press 70 pounds, and then I have this this motion where I'm going all the way down like that, and then all the way back I know, up. I know, I tried it. It works those lower back muscles. Yeah. It works your abdominals. It works the strength and stability of your shoulder. Yeah. It works everything. And do you? But that's not Turkish get-ups. No, Turkish get-ups is that's even harder. Yeah. Turkish what do you get do that with? Those guys are going to start that next week. Now they know. So. <laughs> Turkish get-ups. They should be doing it with no weight, right? Like well, just, I'm going to start them with 10 pounds. Something. I mean, yes. just doing it is yes. hard. Yeah, especially when you're doing reps. We're yeah. going to start. They're going to do it with 10 pounds. But with Turkish get-ups is you lie on your back. You know what it is, right? Mm -hmm. You lie on your back. You press it. And then you get up. You get up to one leg. You lift it overhead. Stand up. And then slowly lower yourself back down. Lie back down on the ground again. Switch hands. Yeah. Get up. All one leg. Stand up. Lower yourself down. And, you know, I'm going to show them Freaking the technique, hard. how to hip, you know, hike your hips up, you know, pop your hips up when you get one leg up. You know, so you put one leg up, you pop your hips up, you get the other leg underneath you, and then you stand up. But it's not sexy. No. But it's very, very, very functional. And it just breaks you down. There was this guy back in this gym that I trained. It's closed down now. It was International Fitness. But his name is Will Dinwiddie. And he was the strongest guy I've ever seen. But he used to do that with 135. Ooh. Like he'd put the Olympic bar with the 45s on it and do Turkish get-ups with 145. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's like, an animal. Oh, he also squatted 225 100 times without stop. Just like Jesus 100 Christ. reps. I, I gave just, him a T-shirt. Just body weight. I gave him a T-shirt. Yeah, I know. I, I, I gave him a, one of my T-shirts. This is like 10 years ago. And I'm like, you earned that. I mean, just uh, took him seven minutes or something like that. Was it a keep hammering shirt, or was it nobody cares uh, try harder? No, I think it was a uh, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward, or mm, something like that. God damn, that's a crazy. But, that's yeah. powerful. Yeah, he he was that's a beast. Nuts. But anyway, that's where I first saw Turkish get up because mm -hmm. he would put on. I mean, he'd be yelling and screaming and putting on a show over there. And I told my boys they were just starting lifting, and I'm like, 
that's the strongest guy in Springfield. <laughs> and nobody knows him really other than in this gym, but he's just a freak. Have you ever heard of Tom Havilon? No. Okay. Who's that? This guy's a real weirdo. He's a freak that lives in Australia. Oh. And he does these insane workouts and he puts them on Instagram. Go to his Instagram. And he wears like fucking flannel shirts and Private jeans account. and shit. Private, Private account. Is it? I don't know why. I mean, join it. Well, it's, I can't get access to it until you approve it. Oh, shit. Hmm. hmm. Why is he private, Tom? I think because he doesn't want to be bothered because all he does is this guy's out in the outback fucking lifting homemade weights. <laughs> he's six foot five, I think, and he's 300 pounds. God. And j just gigantic. <laughs> I want to see him. And the workout, Holy that's the guy. shit. And the fucking workouts that this oh guy does, God. there's not a goddamn chance in hell he passed the piss test. <laughs> I bet his piss melts styrofoam. <laughs> but oh. this guy, it's jailhouse strong. Is like some, I don't even know if he's been in jail, but he looks like a guy that you wouldn't want to go to jail with. But, I mean, he's just absolutely freakishly powerful. Yeah, he is. This is, like, normal, conventional stuff. But the stuff that he does, like, on his property, he does all this stuff outside. So he's mm. got, like, fucking dogs running around and shit. And he's deadlifting 600 pounds and walking around with it. He does, like, freakish shit. Mm -hmm. And uh, he documents it all on Instagram. I wish I could show you. I wish I could stream it to you, Jamie. Man, yeah. yeah, he's a stud. I don't know. There's some guy. That's I love following guys like that. But it's definitely um, private. Uh -huh. So like, look at the kind of shit he does. So this is how he, he works out. Oh yeah, yeah. He I've works out guy. with like a fucking like a lumberjack shirt on and I've pants. Seen, I've seen this guy outside. So he's got his. He's got the most freakish physique ever, and he's got it covered up. I don't even know how much weight that is. And most that of the most of the videos are you 749. seeing him. Seven forty nine. Seven forty nine. Yeah. Zerker. Zerker swat. <sighs> which is insane. And he's you see him from behind when he's doing all these things. Yeah. yeah. So here he's uh, pressing six twelve. He's benching six twelve. Like what the fuck, dude? And he's yeah. just throwing it up there for reps for five reps. Six twelve. And what? Just wants to be a freak. Just I a mean, freak. That's that's the goal. Just a freak. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what his, his goals are other than that. But, I mean, some of the shit that he does is just fucking insanity. Look at this deadlift. Look at the size of that motherfucker. Now, I know. Now, imagine also he's 6'5". God. 6'5", 300 pounds, and just deadlifting. What's he deadlifting there? 1,003 pounds. Imagine how good, like, back in the first UFCs. Like, like, look at that! Look at his neck shit. He'd be a perfect guy for the. For, remember when UFC started? Yeah, but not really. Hoist would have strangled him. I know, but it'd been fun to see him. Look at the size of this motherfucker! Holy shit! Yeah, does all this Atlas Stone stuff, and he, a lot of the stuff he does is like he carries things around a lot, but, which yeah. is very interesting. He does a lot of explosive training and a lot of just carrying things. Like, see how he's, like, dragging? And he drags him off, like, so he's on got, like, side. weight on one side. Yeah. And then he'll switch it to the other side. Oh, he's 6'7". Six, seven. Seven? Excuse me. 6'7". Six, <laughs> fucking gigantic. The guy's so big. Yeah, but, you know, that's a freak show that, like, Pride would have liked. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they would have thrown sick. some money on him. Like, I mean, he, if you could teach that guy how to fight. Yeah, him versus, uh, who is that, the, the big black guy? Oh, Bob Sapp. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Bob Sapp was 75 pounds heavier than him. I know, but imagine well, actually, this. what does he weigh? 
I think he was actually trying to weigh 400 pounds, okay. Tom Havilon. Wasn't he trying to get up to 400? That's a good weight. <laughs> That's total doable. Oh, God. I think he's pushing, I think he's heavier than 300 pounds now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. 385? 360. 360. What? What? I think that was the thing. That's right. Now that I'm thinking about it, is the road to 400 pounds. So he's trying yeah. to build himself up. I want to see him pounds. versus Bob Sapp. But what he does a lot of, which is very interesting, is like unconventional type workouts, like where like he attaches a chain to his right arm and he's yeah. dragging behind all these weights while he's carrying a log with his two arms. I saw that. That was... Yeah. He I does mean, a lot of interesting stuff like that that he thinks that that's important. Like, Of course. Yeah, like farmers carries and yeah. shit with insane amounts of weight. Mm -hmm. I've heard that before from many people that not just pushing things and pressing things, but carrying them around My is rock, where you dude. get real strength. Yeah, your rock. See? Yeah, that's right. That it rock that you guys take up to Pixca. It works. Yeah, there's something to that. Mm -hmm. There's something to unconventional movements. No, because your body has to you know, hold and correct. Mm -hmm. your, your core just gets... Yeah. Hammered. Just like the Turkish get-ups. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and that's what it's all about is just like not being just – a lot of people can be strong straight, mm -hmm. you know, just doing pretty uniform movements. Yeah. But when you can be strong, out of position, mm -hmm. awkward things, that's real strength. That's real strength. And yeah. I think that real strength also applies to conventional lifts. Mm -hmm. And that's why guys like this Tom Havilon guy can lift insane amounts of weight also. Yeah. A little bit of Mexican supplements, if you know what I'm saying. Maybe. A little bit of that. Maybe. Creatine. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. And branched-chain <laughs> amino acids. They're very important. And milk. <laughs> like Mark milk. McGuire. Yeah. He's probably eating wild boar milk. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck that guy eats, but yeah, that's a huge fella. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, that's the greatest thing about social media is finding freaks like mm -hmm. that. You know what I mean? And this freak, I mean, I think that's all he's doing. I mean, he's not, like, uh, selling things. He's not, like, telling people, like, huh. hey, get a part of my workout program, 20% off with code be a freak, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, he's just fucking... Just a beast. And his photos, it's very unflattering because everything he's doing is from behind. You only mm -hmm. see his back, and he's covered up. Everything's covered up. He's wearing, like, a lumberjack shirt. Yeah. That's where it's kind of that Sam Solik does that, too. You know who that kid is? Who's Sam Solik? Oh. Dude, Jamie, you gotta look him up. He is just, he's like 21, just a fucking freak. But he wears this, all this big shit and will do the hardest squats, like so much weight, deep, just freak. But then when he takes his shit off, I can't remember what they call it, like when you're all covered up. Mm -hmm. And then, so you, you never and let the any, reveal. Yeah, then you never let anybody really see what a freak oh. you are. Yeah. Sam Solik. Yeah, you got to look at him. Solik, S U L E K. Oh, look Jesus. at this kid, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He is like young 20s. Oh, I have heard about him because he used to be a lot smaller mm -hmm. and then got saucy. <laughs> he used to be a, a diver. Whoa. Yeah, like a, you know, into a pool type thing. Really? Yeah. I bet he makes a hell of a fucking splash. Well, now they, there is like an old one. <laughs> okay, so it was 183 pounds in 2000 and... Uh, there, in 2019. Mm-hmm. And now what does he weigh now? 237 in 2023. That's crazy. Yeah. That's so crazy. That's so much weight. And I don't know how... I think he's super young. He looks young. Yeah. 
Oh, so he covers himself up like that when he works? Yeah, like even, like, show some squats, Jamie. There's some good... Um, I don't know if he had it on this... Unless they're... I was, so I'm looking behind the video. There's not a lot of video. Oh, here. I hmm. see. Interesting. Pictures yeah, I think it's on YouTube. 3.6 million see followers. See his YouTube? Yeah, he's got a lot of... That's where he gets all his videos. Hmm. Well, like, what does he have? Yeah, 2.3 million subscribers on, on YouTube. Just from being jacked. Yeah, just a freak, though. Isn't it crazy that just being jacked could get you millions of subscribers now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, right. So this is what he'll do. But he trains freaking hard. So he's doing, like, all kinds of yeah, crazy Yeah, let's, let's watch this one. Crazy a little lifts. bit of a mental battle before this set of squats. I think it's worth discussing. Fuck. Bro, you can hear the steroids Shit. in his voice. It's <laughs> like he's gargling in steroids. I didn't. Look, guys, jacked. I know, but they're. I don't know. Look at the fucking legs on him. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Look at his fucking thighs, bro. That guy must chafe like a motherfucker. He needs some good me undies, the kind that go all the way down. Yeah, you know those boxer briefs keep your legs from rubbing in the center. Yeah, I don't really know what his goal is, but be massiver. I more mean, more massive. Maybe it's Tom Havilon. Maybe that's his goal. These guys, you know, they want to be, when you walk in a room, they want people to be like, holy, like pointing. Like, holy shit, look at this freak. Well, he gained 50 pounds in, what, four years? And he shredded. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you don't do that with oatmeal. No. You need some help. <laughs> you need a little help. Yeah, so I... Step I, away, USADA. It's, all right. Yeah, <laughs> nothing to see here. It's fun to... To see guys like that, mm-hmm. I don't know. It is fun. I don't want to do it, but I, it's fun to see. Yeah, like that Tom Havilon guy. I'm obsessed with watching him. I think Brian Callen was the first guy to tell me about him. But he's isn't Brian gay? It's like I'm sure he Callen? was attracted to no, him. No, he's, he's attracted to some men, but he's not gay at all. <laughs> he's attracted spiritually. To them. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he's not sexually attracted to them. Oh, yeah, to their. You know, their... he imagines if he was in prison that he would right. be with that guy, and that guy would protect him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he wouldn't snuggle with him, keep him warm. <laughs> yeah, he uh spooky dudes. Mm-hmm. There's some there's some people out there doing freaky shit, but man, that's a great way to get hurt too. Try emulating that. Uh, I mean, when you're lifting like very very heavy. I don't lift heavy. Obviously, I don't, I'm not big like that. I, I the heaviest thing I lift is like 90 pounds. I occasionally do 90 pound kettlebells. I think it's good though, because he, yeah, you're not going to do that. But you see how hard he's working. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's soaked with sweat doing mm-hmm. squats. Oh yeah, that's. I think people can be inspired by that and be like, "Fuck yeah!" Hey, I need to. I'm not going to be a, a freak, but I can push harder. Also, it might make them take a road trip to Mexico to fill up the trunk. I don't know. <laughs> I know, it, it, you know, here for a, a good time, not a long time. Well, that's definitely that's, the case with folks like that. Yeah. You know, because a lot of those guys, you know, the, those really big guys, they have real problems. Yeah. It's so, like, you, you know, there was that one good uh, Rich Piana. Do you know I who know. he was? I know. Love that guy. Yeah, that guy was ridiculous. I still share his, like, he's got so many good reels, too. Yeah. Like, he just says crazy stuff. Because he's like, the one, my favorite is that he's sitting with this girl, and he's like, kind of a serious question he's like he goes would you rather have the dick hang lower than the balls or the balls hang lower than the dick hmm 
That's that his concern? That was his question to her. Interesting. Yeah. Well, anyway. some people worry about stars and <laughs> asteroids and black holes and aliens, and some people worry about balls and dicks. Yeah, so was, <laughs> he has so many funny ones like that. He but, was so freakishly huge. Oh, he's giant. He was so stupid. He had an eight-hour arm workout. I know. Look at this. Yeah. I mean, but he was, like, super open about his steroid use, and, you know, he died from it. He died at, like, I think he was, like, in his early 40s or mid-40s. I think, I thought he, look at the size of his neck. His neck looks like there's a tumor below his ear. Yeah. Look at the the fucking neck muscles. That's so preposterous. Look at those arms, dude. Ridiculous. He used to do an eight-hour arm workout. Mm -hmm. Insane. I know. Insane. But I guarantee you, no matter where he walked in... Yeah. People noticed him. And that well, was the goal. That's what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to each their own. I mean, I love the fact that it's freedom. You could do whatever you want. If you want to be that guy, you could be that guy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that guy, but, you know, he obviously, that's what he enjoyed. Gold 22 inch calves. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's crazy. I didn't know he did legs at all. That's like a waist. Oh, he did legs. Yeah, giant legs. His legs are huge. I know. I was just so focused on the arms. They're preposterous, but they're probably useless. Didn't he have like an MMA fight? I feel like he had an MMA fight. I thought he died from he passed out and hit his head when he's getting a haircut. Really? I think so. Really? thought so. Are you just putting that out there? Did you do any research? No, I don't. I don't do much research. I thought he had like a massive heart attack or something. No, I don't. It's a lot of how those guys go. Yeah, like everything gets bigger. Oh yeah, yeah. When you're taking his heart was probably this super, big too. Yeah, it's probably a basketball. Superhuman yeah. levels of everything. Did you say how he died? He collapsed in early August and died after being in a coma for two weeks. Hmm. Drug involvement could not be ruled out. Forty-six mm. years old. Drug involvement couldn't be ruled out. Crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty young to die. But I didn't know. I he bet was... if he got vaccinated, they'd rule that out. <laughs> I did. Yeah, heart disease reported. Oh in yeah, and history of drug use. Oh yeah, yeah, not good. Probably never touched cardio. No, because that that burns muscle. Fuck out of here with your cardio. Twenty bottles of steroids found at his house. <laughs> Only twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been in between orders. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Bottles Christ. of steroids. <laughs> Jesus Christ, buddy. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh. Uh, That's have a lot. You, have you shot your new bow yet? I have not. No. Your Alpha X? No, I've been too what? busy, unfortunately. I am suppo- I was suppo- going to take it today, but mm-hmm. obviously I had some stuff we had to do today. Yeah. But I'm going to take it on Monday. Go it's a good bow. Archery country. Yeah, I'm very excited. Look, if it's better than last year's, last year's models were better than the year before, which I don't know how they keep doing it. I don't either. But Hoyt keeps making better bows every year. Mm-hmm. They're just smoother and more accurate. Like, I shot my, um, not this this past year's bow, but the year before, I shot it one day just for goof. I said, let me just pick up my old bow and yeah. see how that shoots. It wasn't out of tune. It wasn't... But it was significant. Like, I could see the difference in accuracy and the feel in the hand. It was like yeah. a little more vibration in the hand, a little a little more clunky in the draw cycle. And then I picked up last year's bow. I was like, wow. Yeah. You feel the smoothness of the draw cycle. And then it just, I was more confident with it. It felt yeah. more accurate. It's crazy how they just keep making them better. I think when you're so dialed in with 
with your bow when you shoot as much as it doesn't take much of a difference to feel it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You shoot so much. Yeah. A little change, you're going to be like, whoa, mm -hmm. it feels like a lot, even though it's a little. But can you imagine being those engineers and you've got to like fine tune Something. every single aspect of these cams and the limbs and the limb pockets and the, the yeah. riser and... One little thing they did, which is pretty cool, because you know how you have those the little kickstand things, mm -hmm. the ghost sticks? Yeah. And your, last year, the cam would sit in the dirt or mm -hmm. whatever. Now they have a little shelf that it sits on. Yes. Even that little tiny, that's an improvement. That's an improvement. But that's a big one, because yeah. I would be looking at where my cam was sitting and where the string was kind of rubbing on rocks and dirt and be mm -hmm. like, God, is that wearing through? Right. So they they pretty much come up, think with, of everything to to make it better, to tweak, to fine tune, and then you feel it. I mean, the bows this year, that that one I just set up, they say, you know, who knows how they, I'm sure they measure it, but it's 25% quieter, I believe. And it's, I don't know what percent, but it's quiet. Very it's quiet. Weird. Yeah. I don't know how they're doing all that. I don't either. And then there's the factor of heavy arrows versus lighter arrows. Lighter arrows make more noise. Heavier arrows are a little quieter. Yeah. But not probably not twenty five percent. That's a lot. No, you're uh, you are obsessed with art. Like you're always sending me. Hey, have you seen this? Have you seen these? Have you seen these heads? Have you seen these? Yeah. Air? I mean, it's so cool. That's a that's kind of the the best part about archery is all the options. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just how can I tweak this, make it a little better? Yeah. Give you a little more confidence. Is this going to perform better? Mm -hmm. That's the. I mean, that's the, the chase every day. Yeah, I'm excited about those uh, arrow, those broadheads that I showed you, those Tooth of the Arrow broadheads. Yeah. They, I like those because they're American-made, and they figured out some way. They First of all, they cut them out of one solid piece of steel, and they figured out a way to have most of the mass in the ferrule. So apparently they fly really good. Mm. So Jordan over at Archery Country was shooting them out to 100. He's like, dude, these are incredible. Yeah. They shoot so good. And it's a four-blade head. Yeah, so that's like good. The, you so said the, four inches a cut. Mm -hmm. That's with the XLs. The, right. the, the smaller ones are a little bit less, but it's still more than three inches a cut. Does the XLs weigh more than 100 grains? No. they, get, they You can get them in 100 grains, 125, mm. I think 150 and 175. And all they're doing is just putting more mass in the ferrule. It's not a bigger thing. Mm -hmm. like So it's still like a heavy field point. Mm. And so the mass goes deep into the arrow and into the front front point it's not in the heads so they probably and especially with the vented ones they probably won't plane or mm. won't plane much but then you don't have to think about mechanicals whether that they open or not open or shooting them through grass or any, any yeah. of that kind of stuff so yeah i'm uh i gotta hunt with ranella we're gonna uh hunt for white hail white tails in south texas for meat eater that'll be fun in a couple weeks yeah so i'm going to uh, i'm gonna use those heads okay i'm gonna try them out did you stay with the FMJs or the Axis, or are you trying those pro comps? I do not know. We are trying to figure out what what arrows to use. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna sort that out actually this weekend. Didn't I? okay? Because I'm trying to go a little lighter. I'm at five hundred twenty. Pro comps, I yeah. think, would be because mine are four eighty four. The problem is like there's not the best options for lighted knocks with four mm. millimeter arrows. I sent you like from Gary at Easton mm -hmm. that whatever brand he Halos. said. Halos. Yeah. yeah, he says Halos are the, are the move. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll 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 give those a try. Um, there's also uh, fire knocks. Have you ever seen that guy? Mm -mm. I don't use lighted knocks. That guy is a fucking mad scientist. There's mm. this there's this gentleman who is a I think he was a physicist or some kind of a 
he's got some sort of background in science and he created this like very high-end lighted knock called a fire knock mm. and you have to it's more difficult to install you have to kind of glue in an insert and then screw it into the insert but mm. they're supposed to be super legit and very very tight tolerances so i might try those out too yeah so fun. There's so much to tinker with. I know. It's so fun. But you got to make sure that you're done tinkering like a couple weeks out. So like. Oh, yeah. So like I, I'll tinker up until a certain point, And I'm like, I'm locked in. This is what I'm using. Now it's time to just practice with that. And let's get it all locked in. I, I had to give up on. Like I'm a big fan of Garmin. I love all their stuff. You know, I have this Garmin watch that I, I love this. this yeah. Uh, I just love that it's got GPS on it. I can put maps on it. I can literally take phone calls, listen to music. It's got a stopwatch, barometer, altitude. It's so functional. for the. It even has a fucking light. Look at that. If you're out in the woods, you double tap this bitch. Bam. I got a light. It's actually pretty bright. That's pretty bright. I love this. How thing. long does a battery last? Fucking weeks. Really? Weeks. Yeah. Weeks. That's impressive. Like a month. Like it'll tell you. I think I've got like... 25 days of battery life. I'm blind from that light right now. It's crazy. <laughs> but uh, I was running that Garmin site that that um, uh, they have a range-finding site. Right. I was having a problem with it, though. Like, sometimes at distance, I was getting multiple ranges on, like, a, a, like that uh, foam elk target that I have in my yard. Yeah. Like, I'd be at full draw, and I know that it's 74 yards away, mm -hmm. but I would be getting 82 71 65 and i'm like what is going on here and holding right on it i'm ho i'm trying to hold right on it maybe i'm moving a little bit but mm. how much am i moving and why isn't it i don't think it's totally i think look i used it last year and i had a perfect shot on uh two white-tailed deer and a neil guy with that with that i liked it but that scared me that I'm getting different ranges. So, like, what if I'm at full draw on an animal and it says 67, but it's really 74? Yeah. That's, that's a good. problem. That's not And good. with a 522-grain arrow at that much distance, yeah. you're going to have a lot of drop. Yeah, not a lot of room So I switched. Before Utah, I went back to the spot hog, and I went to just using that loophole uh, full draw, mm -hmm. which I really like because it shows you the height of your arrow. Trajectory. Like, that's giant, man. Yeah. That's giant. If you have a gap that you're shooting through, and you're like, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen here. That thing is so dialed in. It measures the speed of your arrow. It tells you, you, you put in all these different things, like how fast your arrow is, what your arrow weighs, and it'll tell you exactly what's the height of the arrow trajectory So yeah. at, at the arc. So when you That's range awesome. it, if you, and I used it in California because there was a gap that I was shooting through, and I ranged it, and I knew I had full confidence I was going to get through that gap because I had that line yeah. that showed me the line was like four or five inches below where I needed to pass through. And that's perfect, too, because without that uh, assurance, sometimes you're picking a spot, but you're still thinking about that, yes. oh, where's this arrow going? Yes. And that can cause that focus to falter, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that results in a bad shot. So well, it's so much confidence. Yeah. Like, you have to, you have, when you're executing a shot, you have to say, I know I'm going to hit yeah, that thing. Yeah, 100%. I, if you can't say, I hope. No. If you say, I hope it, oh, you're fucked. You're fu yeah. It's like pool. I know. There's like, I was talking to Joel Turner about that, that there's real parallels between archery and pool, mm. is that you have to have a shot process 
that you go through. Like when I play pool, I have a very specific shot process I go through with every shot. And before the shot, when I'm playing well especially, I'll take my practice strokes and then I pause at the back end and drive through with like a, a like I try to use a perfect stroke where it's just the weight of the uh, the weight of the pool cue and this the forward motion of the arm is perfectly timed and I'm kind of like allowing that cue to do all the work with the the weight right. of my arm and the stroke and if you don't have that thing in your head like I am going to make this shot if you say I hope I don't miss you're going to fucking miss no, like for every sure. time yeah archery yeah. you have like a more of a window because like you could say you could put your pin on the target and go, I hope I don't miss. But as long as your pin's on the target, maybe it'll be like three inches here or four inches there. But Still in lungs. pool, I'm shooting into a four-inch yeah. pocket yeah. from nine feet away. You, there's no room yeah. for fucking if around. If you're off that much or more, the cue's hitting. Exactly. Yeah. And then as the distance goes, like if you're shooting a seven-foot shot, as the distance goes, if you're off like a half of a millimeter, yeah. it's going to over the distance, right. it's gonna be th two inches. Yeah. It's gonna, you're gonna be fucked. Yeah. Yeah, so there's- Very precise. But th that's what I love about archery and that's what I love about pool. It's like, the arrows don't give a fuck who you are. Mm -hmm. They don't give a fuck w where you live, what kind of car you drive. Like, it's like, w are you doing it right? Yeah. There's it's there's no room for fuckery. Right. It is you got to be dialed in. You got to be prepared. Mm -hmm. You have to have thousands of arrows downrange. Yeah. Thousands where you know you know what that feel what it feels like when that shot breaks and you watch that arrow and we, you practice and yeah. you know like you know better than anybody. We practice in camp. Yeah. We don't just get to camp and say, we're done. No, every time you get a chance, we're lined up at the targets and we're shooting at 90 it's, yards. It's, uh, you know, it's so hard to gain that confidence. Or you said, you know, am I going to, do I know I'm going to hit it perfect or do I hope I'm going to hit it perfect? So getting that confidence, like, no, I know I'm going to hit it perfect is so freaking hard and can go away like that. Like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. one fucking shitty shot and you're just like, oh my God. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, if that's where archery can be brutal because once you're confident and you start doubting something, that takes on a life of its own. And archery has so many factors. Mm -hmm. There's the, you know, you have your release, you have the, the sight, you have the rest, Maybe your arrows are touching the rest. Maybe maybe you've got your the way your pins are set up when you have your furthest distance pin. Maybe your fletchings are touching the bottom of the housing. String like, stretch. String stretch. Your yeah. string over time. You have to make sure that you're when before you go on a hunt, you gotta bring it in and check the chronograph. Is it still at two hundred and seventy three feet a second? Oh shit, it's at two sixty five right. now. My string stretched. So now you have to put some twists in the strings and now you have to fire. Or you it have more. to add a couple yards to shooting. Yeah. There's so much going on. Yeah. And then just the preciseness of these sight tapes. Mm. Is this this it's so amazing how much goes on. Like when you use Archer's Advantage, you're entering in the weight of the arrow, the 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 length of the arrow, like what is the poundage of the bow, what's the speed per second that you're shooting? Like Yeah. There's so much. There's a lot of lot of data going in there. But when you execute a perfect shot, not even on just on an animal, just on a target, just you're shooting at like 75 yards and the shot breaks and you watch that go right in the center. It's like, a beautiful moment. Ah. Uh, yeah. I wish everybody could feel that. 
If Me everybody, too. the world goes away. The world goes away when you execute a perfect shot. That's Just, what um, I I had uh, Huberman, you know, down, and he was, you know, he's so intelligent, obviously, but like an analytical and everything. But it's like we're and he's focusing so hard at the bow rack, just doing everything, focusing so hard. And I'm like, how great is this? I said, what are you thinking about other than shooting this bow right now? And he's like, nothing. I'm like, that's it. Yeah, you can't. That's what's so beautiful about it. It's like people say therapeutic and all this, but it is because you can't be if you're distracted, you're not going to hit anywhere close to what you want no or not consistently you no. might get lucky but it it's one of those things that takes all your focus which is so freeing mm-hmm. because then you're not worried about all the other bs of life it's it cleans your mind mm-hmm. it's uh it's like jujitsu does that too like when you're doing jujitsu it cleans your mind because you can't think of anything else because someone's on top of you trying to yank your arm Strangle off. Strangle you. Yeah. It's like you you have to be completely engaged Immersed, in, yeah. in the moment. I know. And that's very hard for people to do, to find things that keep them in the moment. We are so constantly distracted by mostly things that aren't even important. Like I can't tell you how many times I'm up at night worried about, I mean, it is a, a concern, but I'm worried about Ukraine and I'm worried about, you know, Israel and Palestine. And mm-hmm. I, I worry about nuclear war. I worry about chaos. I worry about the fact they're sending these young men to go and die in these wars. And some people are so flippant about it. There's, it's so easy for them. And I freak out about these things. And sometimes it like it fucks me up because I go to bed with that in my head. And I'm like, yeah. I'm just lying in bed going, am I like, is this the verge of World War Three? Like if you were. Living in um, some place like right before a war broke out, the day before that happens, everything's normal. Yeah, October sixth in Israel, everything's right. normal. Right. Then all of a sudden, everything fucking changes, and then the world is chaos. Your life, uh, world's upside down. You, I think you need something. You certainly need to be aware of the world, but you need to. Everyone needs something that can take them out of that. Yeah. And I th- for some people it's golf, some people it's pool, for some whatever the fuck it is, it's running, whatever it is. But you need something that takes you out of that and allows you to be in the moment. What I like is uh, this is a, another part to it. But what I like, so like with a Huberman or with somebody like people say intellectuals, but people who are operate up here all the time. Yeah. I'm never up there, so I don't have to fucking worry about it. <laughs> but it's like operating at this highest level of intelligence of of whatever they're at. But what I like about archery and hunting is like, this is a basic. So you can't get up here unless you're down here figuring out what you're going to eat right? and how to do it. So it's either you can get it all figured out and say, well, I'm not going to kill shit myself, but I'm going to, could I pay somebody? Could you kill something for me? And then here's some money, right? Right. Somebody still has to do the bottom shit. But I think I told Andrew, I'm like, God, if you could, obviously you're up here all the time. But if you could also understand the bottom, what it takes to kill and get out there, carry a rock up a fucking mountain, do that that hard, gritty, lower level shit. And imagine what you could, because I always say, I would love for you to have your perspective to be able to explain what hunting is mm. in your way. Because yeah. I can't. I can do it like what I've been doing my whole life. Right. But somebody who operates up here all the time could also understand the basics of survival. God, imagine what enlightenment 
yeah. he, he might be able to shine on why we hunt. Yeah, he would definitely be able to have a, a very unique perspective with his mind. And that's what Peter Atia brings to the table. Mm-hmm. You know, because Peter has become obsessed with bow hunting over the last few years. And he's so fucking fascinating because he and I will have these conversations where we'll talk about broadheads and this and that, all these yeah. different things. And he'll shoot an animal and then he will make a video where he does an autopsy. Right. And he breaks it down and uses terms. I don't even understand what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> all these different, yeah. you know, different types of hemorrhaging and this and that and what it what the area of the lung it hit and this is why it took so long for it to die and this is why it died quickly because it severed these arteries and caused massive hemorrhaging and yeah yeah that's super interesting i don't get any of that shit i don't i mean i get the the major organs and i know what happens Mm -hmm. when the arrow goes through there but within those organs like you're saying different parts of the lungs yeah it's who knows what and like, he's breaking it down as a surgeon. Even even like with uh, Huberman, we're in the Borac and he's like talking about, we had it on the lift run shoot episode, but he's like, he says something like, oh, like on skateboarding, you can switch stance, like left foot forward, right foot forward type mm-hmm. thing. He goes, can you do that with the bow? Like left hand, right hand. And I was like, no, that's your dominant eye. You know, you got to use your dominant eye. And so he starts to explain why prey animals with their eyes on the side they, if you're not moving, they can't, see, you're basically invisible because they have to be able to see that movement. And sometimes they'll go like this to like use both eyes. Whereas, whereas we're like depth perception because our eyes on the front, we can see movement like this. A prey animal can't. Anyway, he's explaining this whole thing. Mm. It's like, you could talk about anything with hunting where I would be like, this is black and white. Oh, you do this because of that. And then he would have some crazy explanation with Amazing detail on why it's this way or that way. It's pretty fascinating. So I'm like, God dang, if you could bow hunt and get out there and understand what it means to be, you know, we're, we're a predator hunting prey and just what is that? What is that about? Right. You know, I just want to hear his take on it because right. that's his like his superpower is he's 20 times smarter than anybody, but can talk where I can understand it. Yes. Not. All those smart guys can't do that shit. Yeah. But he can. So he, he's gone through an interesting journey with broadheads too. Hmm? You know, because he. Oh, Peter? Yeah. Yeah. Because he shot a, a two blade uh, single bevel head. And uh, ha- did you ever see it? No. Okay. I'm going to show it to you because it's kind of crazy. When you see it, you're not going to believe it. Um, he had to make a, a follow up shot, but you wouldn't imagine it when you see this. And now, so we had this conversation. And uh, he was saying, do you, you know, like there's there's this thing whether or not you want to have a big cut like you have been using over the last uh, few years. Yeah. With um, these uh, the Grim ones Reaper. that you like, the Grim Reaper Carnivores, yeah. mm-hmm. which is a, a big cut. Or would you want to get penetration? Mm-hmm. Right. I and want so, both. Yeah. So, well, that's why you shoot like a really uh a really powerful bow. Now look at the uh, look at the shot placement. That looks perfect. Perfect, right? That yeah, looks, he had to make I a mean, follow-up shot. And was it perfectly broadside? Yep. That is, I mean, crazy. That's but right where you want. It's in the crease. It's perfect. Perfect height. Now imagine if you hit that thing with a carnivore. Chaos. No, oh. it's not going anywhere, right? No. So that's the benefit. That doesn't make sense, right? But he went right through it, through right? the lungs, both lungs. That is weird. Yeah, crazy. You look at it, you're like, how? But yeah. I think that's the thing about a small cut 
a very small single blade or, or, or you know, a two blade, yeah, the two rather, blade that slices slice. mm-hmm. right through. And mm-hmm. it's you just get an inch and a half slice. Right. That's it. And maybe it can seal up. Maybe it takes a long time for it to bleed out. I mean, yeah, whatever it is. But when you have something like one of the things we were talking about was these uh, these tooth of the arrows. So I sent him these images that I got from uh, this. Uh, this is a guy named John Lusk, and he has these uh, very interesting videos where he does all these uh, tests on broadheads, yeah. everything. He's got like a whole system to it. He's very mm-hmm. scientific about it. But look at the fucking holes. Yeah. That those tooth of the arrows make. That's, that's the XL um, four blade, which is makes through steel. F- through steel, four inches of cut, and it makes a canal. This this wound channel is not healing. That's not, not sealing up. up. You're going to get blood up. out of that thing. People don't see. And that, it. That's what it looks like. Can and that's that, the Jamie? goal is you know to kill with an arrow. Yeah. It you need hemorrhage. Right. And here that type of hemorrhage, that type of wound channel is going to allow that animal to expire quick. I mean, it's going to die fast in seconds. That's what we want. And also, one of the things that he showed in his explanations or his videos, John Lust did, which I'm very interested about with this tooth of the arrow broadhead, is that it got incredible penetration, too. So Mm -hmm. he does this test where he shoots them into styrofoam or uh, uh, layers of of, uh, cardboard. Right. And I think this, this 125 grain one had the record, it went through 75 layers or 73 layers of mm. cardboard, mm. which is insane. That's yeah. a lot of layers. I wonder how heavy is arrow? I'm not sure. You know? I'm not sure. Yeah, because that makes a big difference. Makes a big difference. Penetration. Yeah. But it's just, he uses a standard setup. He uses yeah. a 72 pound it's still, bow. If it's the same with every head. Inch draw. Yeah, and same one's, with every head. And one's out penetrating the other. Exactly. That means something. Exactly. Yeah, regardless and, of what. And it has four blades as opposed to two. Mm-hmm. So you're getting double the cut. At least. Yeah, I always think that, so if you have a two blade and the animal is, say, two foot wide, that's 48 inches of cut. Right. If you got four, that's 96 inches of hemorrhage. Big difference. Big difference. Big difference. Imagine a a 96-inch cut, how much that's going to bleed. Yeah, and it's a channel through the body. So if you get a Mm pass-through, that thing sprang off both sides. And then maybe even more importantly, what you do and what I do is we lift weights. So we're strong. So mm-hmm. we can pull back a heavy bow. And so now you're shooting a, a really powerful 80-plus pound bow that is launching this 520-grain arrow at 300 feet a second. So when yeah. it does hit, it's a tremendous amount of momentum and force. Yeah. And it's just, boom, blowing through everything. Yeah. So when people say, oh, you don't need that kind of pull back that kind of weight. <laughs> I've heard that stupid shit so many times. It drives me nuts. Yeah. And it's just... People that are trying to make an excuse for why they're not strong. Yeah. Well, you don't need 60 pounds then, because why do you need 60 pounds? And by the way, 60 pounds for you is probably harder than 90 pounds is for me, because <laughs> yeah. you don't work out. And what I always say is, yeah, I shoot 90, you shoot 60, 70. I will kill every animal you'll kill if you hit at the same place. You won't kill every animal I'll kill. Yes. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. You, I'll go through more shit and yeah. still kill it. Then you will, but every arrow that you shoot that kills, mine would do the same thing. There's no argument that having less power is good. Mm-mm. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. The whole idea is maximum lethality, and the the the, the maximum amount of you want a humane kill 
or it kills it quickly and ethically. So that means you have to be fucking super dedicated to your practice. And I think you should be super dedicated to your fitness. And you should be doing rows every fucking day, mm-hmm. building those back muscles so that when you do pull back 70 pounds, 80 pounds, whatever, it's not hard. Yeah. It seems pretty simple. Yeah. You know, like I, there's a video of me uh, pulling back that uh, 95 pound bow that uh, Dudley made me, that squirrely bow that I had a couple of <laughs> years ago. That thing was ridiculous. But I pull that fucker back easy. Yeah. I can do, I could, I lift a lot of weights. I lift right. all the time. I'm constantly doing chin ups. Con- I do weighted chin ups. I do chin ups with a 25 pound vest. I do all these things. You so, train. yeah. So I get ready for train it. Train to be at your best. So, like, oh, you don't need that. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, <laughs> pussy. I know what you're doing. I know why you're saying it. You're, you, the yeah. only reason why anyone would say that is to try to make up for the fact that they're not strong. Yeah. That's all it is. That's it. You know, and, you know, hunters love them, love bow hunters, love the whole, this whole community. But God, we are so judgmental. Some are. I mean, and they're a loud voice. They, it's, but it's a small percentage. It is. But it's like, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's hard to because when you're so passionate about something, people do talk shit about you. You take it like it means something because like, God, I'm pouring fucking everything I have into this. And you're talking, it's still not good enough. So it's, I had this guy the other day. He's like, why don't you go into the Eagle cap and, and pack in and kill a bull by yourself? Oh, like you did for 20 years. Oh, I mean, (laughs) and it's like, it got me thinking is like, you can, it's never enough. Right. It doesn't matter. It's, ne- it's you wrote like, a book about that. I, I wrote, That's what's hilarious. <laughs> I wrote. You literally wrote. I a told book. the guy. I said, "Yeah." I said, "I've heard of that area." I said, I, "I read about it in a book called Backcountry Bow Hunting." I can't remember who wrote it, but it's a pretty good book. <laughs> and uh, I mean, so the point is, it's like I've been doing this my whole life. I started doing that. I've killed. I don't know how many bulls I've killed from backcountry, do it yourself, to now you know, some of the best elk in. The- you know, 400 inch bulls done the whole thing. That's still not enough. Still there's people say, well, why don't you do this? It's like, well, what the fuck is it ever going to be enough? You're going to always hear that though. Yeah. You're going to hear that from everybody, no matter what it is. And you know, imagine if I lit, read the comments on this podcast on any of my podcasts, yeah. like, why do you have her on? She's fucking stupid. Why do you have him on? He sucks. Like this is boring. Well, you this talk one is going to don't read the, this one. Cause it'd be like, Oh, this fucking redneck again ah! <laughs> i'm like i'm hey guys i didn't i didn't ask i've never asked to be on here have no, i No, you're my friend i want you to come on plus we had to get you stem cells i didn't ask it's not my fault if it was up to me i wouldn't be here ah oh, shut the fuck up you like being here come on man it's I fun like, we have a good time no it's i'm just not good at podcasting you're great at podcasting you're full of shit and now you do your own you lying son not of a bitch. Not good at it. <laughs> You're good at it, man. No, I'm not good. You're good at it. You are I good like, at it. It's, it's a fun thing to do. And look, it's not for everybody, but this podcast isn't for everybody either. Yeah. It, it can't be. You can't make something for everybody. You have to do your best. And I think the best way to do your best is to not listen to all the criticism. Because <laughs> I'm critic. You are also as well. You're very self-critical. We're both very self-critical. And mm-hmm. I think that's... That's important. But that's also why criticism hurts. Because you take it to heart. Yeah. And then you get upset. And you're like, I do so much... You, you you can't make like, everybody guys, I'm happy. I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best, guys. <laughs> I really am trying my best, yeah. and I know you are too. Yeah, I try my best at everything I do, and I'm not. I fuck up all the time at everything, mm-hmm. and that is just something you get from sticking your neck out. I mean, I started bow hunting in my 40s, you know, yeah. and I'm obsessed with it. 
I mean, also f- as a famous person, you know, like it's fucking, you know, if you're going to fuck something up. That's what I, 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 I mean, it's so impressive because most people don't like that have had success in their whole life. You know, you earned, of course, but you've been at the highest level to start all the way over at something with no experience. But it's so exciting. But That's pe- the best thing to do. Most people wouldn't do that. Yeah, but they should. Yeah. I, I know I know that most people don't like to do that because they like to be they like to be impressive at things because it makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. But what makes me feel good is getting better at things I suck at. And learning new things that I suck at is very I can't I don't have any room for any more. Like you right now I'm full, I'm all full. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm I'm decent at bow hunting now. I've gotten to the point where I'm a very I'm very accurate. I practice constantly. I put in a ton of work. I put in thousands and thousands and thousands of arrows every year. But because of that, I'm confident and I'm good at it. I, I'm pretty good at it now, but I'm yeah. still not an expert. Yeah. I'm like a purple belt. If I, I would say like if, if bow hunting had belts, I'd be like a purple belt now. Yeah. You know, I'm years away from a black belt. It's a long <laughs> fucking road, you know? It's but tough. I did all that in jujitsu. The reason why I started jujitsu is look, when I started jujitsu, I was a good kickboxer. I was a, you know, a, a very high level Taekwondo fighter. And then I got into kickboxing. I was good at kickboxing. I was good at stand up striking. You know, there's, Plenty of videos you can see of me kicking things. I'm, I'm good at it. I was helpless at jujitsu. Mm-hmm. I could have easily said, fuck this. I'm just go back to kickboxing where I feed my ego and I feel good. Yeah. But I was like, oh my God, I'm helpless. Like, I remember I was uh, training with this guy. Um, I had just started out. I was a white belt and I think he was a purple belt. And this dude mauled me. Mm. I mean, mauled me, this Brazilian kid. And he wasn't being mean. It wasn't like he was like, he was destroying me. (laughs) I mean, it was so humiliating. It was like one night or one. Just I was, it was one specific training session. Because what happens when you first start training is initially you will spar with other white belts and you're both kind of clunky. You don't really know what you're doing. You're trying to choke people. You you don't exactly know how to do it. And you get tapped and you tap them. And it's like, you know, it's like you're learning. But then as you start to progress, you're in a couple weeks or a couple months, they'll start putting you in with blue belts or occasionally they'll even put you in a brown belt. And generally the brown belts and the black belts are pretty gentle Mm -hmm. with the beginners. They'll tap you. And they'll give you pointers like you can't you can't put your arm here. It's vulnerable. You got to keep yourself like this. Don't extend because that, yeah. that's what gets you in trouble. And they'll give you tips, and it's very valuable because you can learn from. Oh, that's why he did this. But this fucking dude just ran through me, <laughs> and it was like one of the first times I had trained with someone who was really pretty good. And my my initial feeling was, I'm so shocked at how helpless I am. Like I I was really delusional. Mm-hmm. I had this idea because I thought I knew how to fight, so that would kind of apply to jujitsu. It didn't pl- apply at all. <laughs> I mean, and so I realized at some point in time, I mean, during this training session, okay, this is a long road, and I'm on it now, mm-hmm. and this is what I'm going to do now. And even though you know I was on a television show, and you know I was doing stand-up comedy, yeah. and I had things that I was good at that I could just stuck with those. Yeah, I was like, I got to get good at this. I can't. I can't live knowing that guys can do this to me. <laughs> it turns out they could always do it to me. Like even at the you highest no. level. Just, but also as time went on, even when I became a black belt, I was still getting mauled by the elite black belts. Right. 
You know, like if I went and rolled with Marcelo Garcia or whenever I'd roll with John Jacques Machado, you just feel kind of helpless. Yeah. It's like because their level is so much higher than mm. your level that even at black belts, there's look at what Gordon Ryan does to everybody. Yeah. He takes the best black belts and make them look like they don't belong there with him. And he yeah. talks shit about it before he does it, even writes That's down amazing. on a piece of paper how he's going to tap them. And then he, he seals the envelope and hands it to the... So he has in his mind, I'm going to get him in a triangle. And this mm -hmm. is the only way I'm going to tap him. So all these other things he has to pass up on, all these other opportunities he passes up on just to set up a triangle. That's so he's incredible. setting it up two, three, four, five steps ahead of them. Mm -hmm. So they think they're doing good. And all of a sudden, so, so. did you ever see him roll with Bull Nickel? Yeah, it's a great match. Yeah. Great match. Bo yeah. Nickel's a bad man, but he caught him too. Yeah, he caught Bo Nickel, triangled him. Yeah, that's how good Gordon is. But that's the levels and levels and levels and levels and levels. Mm -hmm. But the only way you get that good is time. Yeah, time and effort and. It's got to be so rewarding to be Gordon Ryan. I mean, <laughs> I <laughs> it fucking must be amazing. I bet. Must be amazing to be that guy who stands head and shoulders above all the others. He gave us the uh, Abu Dhabi belt, by the way. Oh, that's, that's his sick. Abu Dhabi belt. It's up yeah. in our studio. I love badass. I love how his confidence and his. He's he, awesome. He's, I mean, he drives people crazy. Yeah. But I just love that part. Well, that's also psychological warfare yeah. too, because you're oh, you're so sure. upset that you can't you, you yeah. think I can't lose to this guy, but guess what? You don't have a choice. <laughs> Because well, he trains 365 days yeah, a year. Yeah, his coach is, I love, I don't even know him. But John Donner. I've, yeah, I've listened to you talk about him and, and yeah. listened to him on here. And it's like, that that is an unbreakable mindset, Yeah, basically. Well, Donner is like a character from mm -hmm. a movie. He doesn't exist in the real world. Because John Donner was a philosophy professor at Columbia. Right. Who became obsessed with jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Incredible. And then was like literally sleeping on the mats and teaching people. And so he's operating mentally from, he's probably got 150 IQ. And he's operating at this insane level mentally, mm -hmm. also just completely obsessed with what is the best way to progress in jujitsu? What is the best way? What, yeah. what, what are the, what's the roadblocks? What's holding people up? What's holding people back? And it's what, what they decided at some point in time is that it's not just about training. It's about analyzing things. It's mm. about breaking down technical aspects of things, watching video, discussing techniques, mm. not just training hard, but thinking. So the amount of hours they put in a day, even though they're training 365 days a year, they're 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 going at jujitsu five six hours a day. Well, and he watches tape too. That's right? all he does. Yeah, he wears rash guards everywhere. <laughs> John Donner, I, I don't even know if he has regular clothes. Yeah, he's a freak. I love, I love that. I love. It's amazing. I mean, that's the out. That's a whole. That's an outlier. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of one. That's what. That's what makes this world so interesting. Yes, people like that. Characters like that. One of ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's called what he calls it, it, it. There's a Japanese term. It's called kaizen. Can you look that up? What the actual term means? But it's about the pursuit of excellence in one specific place. One specific avenue, one one specific discipline, the so constant pursuit of excellence. That's, I mean, I don't know. What is the? Here it is. Oh. Kaizen is a Japanese term meaning change for the better or continuous improvement. Yeah. Is a Japanese business philosophy that concerns the process that continuously improve operations and involve all employees. Kaizen sees improvement in productivity as a gradual and. Methodical process. I think 
There's other um, names for it that don't just apply to uh, jujitsu. I think it's I think mm -hmm. it's old or, or, or um, rather. Um, well, let's hear him say it. Well, well, let's just hear what he says. Just hear what he says. Your Instagram uh, description said living in the spirit of kaizen, mm. and I was wondering why. Look, he's got a rash guard on. Uh, <laughs> you always thought yeah. about. You never Fucking know. Freak. Um, I'm a huge believer in the idea of small progressive movements towards goals. If you look at the course of an average day that we all go through, every so often, maybe two or three times in your life, there's one day which changes the direction of your life. But the vast majority of our days are unexceptional. They're just a boring mundane, mundane day. You come home at the end of the day and if someone asks you, what happened today? You would literally have to think back and be like, I, I'm not sure. Um, that's probably a description of 95% of our days. So there's a chance in which you could drift through your life where only about one to five percent of your days have any real meaning and that 95 percent of your life was a waste of time and that's a tragedy so we have to be very very set on this idea that we have to maximize the use of all of our days if we're going to amount to anything in life and that means at the end of every day there has to be a concerted look on your part what was the most significant thing that happened to me today and how will it influence my life tomorrow mm. and if we can do this your days become progressive most people live day to day where the events of yesterday have no bearing on the events of today and the events of today have no bearing on the events of tomorrow and this means your life will simply run in a flat line until the day you die. But if we make a concerted effort to build one day upon another, even if it's just a very small thing, and in most cases it will be a small thing, it's rare that we have a day where something monumental happens. Most days are not monumental, they're mundane. So on every one of these mundane days we have to take one small little gem that happened, it may not be very big, something small, and add that to your performance tomorrow and if we can do this over 10 years something truly remarkable can happen um, it's so easy just to let a day go and they say I'll try again tomorrow but until we get a sense of one day building upon another towards a goal you'll never achieve anything you'll just melt on and 10 years will go by and you'll look back and say what do I do and what did I do and there may not be anything significant behind you. So be intentional about doing something yes. that's going to make your life better. Yeah. And that the, way the whole notion of Kaizen is this, this uh, crystallizes this idea that if I can improve my performance in any given area of my life by a, even a very small percentage point and then add day by day, you get this compounding interest effect where at the end of five years, something quite remarkable may have happened. You may have literally reinvented yourself in five years. You may have an entirely new skill set which you didn't have previously. Um, and so it's up to us to, uh, to do this because the, the natural tendency is for days just to run into each other until by the end of the week you're looking back and say, what happened this week? I don't know, like, it's just gone. It's so easy to let that happen. There's so many distractions in life. There's so many things looking to grab your attention that you can lose 
a day, a, a week, a month, and even a year, even a decade. Um, uh, and it's up to us to, to ask, okay, well, what was significant? And how is it going to be built into my life tomorrow? And how does this relate to the goals that I have? And if you can do this, this is the, the basic idea behind Kaizen. And um, uh, you, can, you can do remarkable things and you can reinvent yourself many times over the period of your life. Uh, it's my belief that it takes around five years of full-time training to develop world-class skills in most athletic endeavors. There are many, many examples of people beginning training and uh, somewhere between five to seven years after the onset of their training, competing at the highest levels of their given sport and getting within the top five athletes in, in the world. There are many, many examples of this. Um, that's a clear signal that it takes around five to seven years of full-time training to get to world-class level in sports. Um, uh, with You could extend that into other areas of life. You can become, in the same time it takes you to win an Olympic uh, bronze medal, you could have become an outstanding day trader. Um, so we, you know, think about it, five years is not a long time. That means we all have within us this ability to reinvent ourselves many times in the course 10, of our 15, life. If you start off at you know, 20 years old, there's a lot of opportunities for you to, to you change go. and adapt. Mm -hmm. That's it. Well, that some, guy's a, a treasure. Yeah, but somebody that introspective and w with that perspective and then coupled with somebody like Gordon Ryan, mm -hmm. this incredible driven athlete, no wonder. Exactly. I mean, that combination... That's going to be tough to beat. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and the crazy so thing is they put it out there for the whole world. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what we're doing. Like, you could do it too. And the thing is, it's so difficult. The dedication. To apply. It's also the focus, mm -hmm. to maintain that focus constantly and to have this idea that I need to review all the things I'm doing to make sure I'm doing them better. Yeah, that mindset. That's very, very difficult. I mean, he's like, yeah, on such a higher level than most people. That's what I keep thinking about, like with, with Huberman talking about hunting. It's like, I, cause I want, I was like, I always think about what I'm passionate about is hunting, right? How can I understand my place in the mountains and as a, as a predator and a bow hunter, how can I get better? How can I get right. more in tune? And I'm always like, cause it's so easy to be out there. And I mean, you, you are immersed in it and you're in it. And you're trying to feel the wind, you're, the, the ground under your feet. You're trying to like be so in tune, but I'm like, God, is there another level of consciousness that maybe I just don't understand and I want to. Right. Because uh, I want to be, I want to continue. I learn something every time and I'm sure you do too out there. But it's like, I mean, I don't know. I want to be the best I can be. Yeah, and I think that also comes with many, many days hunting. Mm -hmm. And this is a thing that becomes controversial. Um, but people say, oh, you should only hunt what you eat. But I think you should hunt as much as you can, and there's plenty of people that you could give that meat to, as long as it's legal. That's what I do. I, yeah, and I, I agree with what you do. Yeah. And, I, and I know it's controversial, but I don't think they're right. I think you're right because your success in the field is unparalleled. And I think there's a reason for that. And it's because of this intense dedication and drive that you've been doing it for so long, but you're still so focused on it. You're not 
relaxed about it at all. Like you and I have had so many conversations about hunting and you've been hunting for what, what 35, 40 years, whatever mm-hmm. it is. When you and I talk, it's like you're fucking locked in all the time about this. I'm going to try this. I'm doing this now. I've decided that this is a new thing. This is, I've found this improvement. I, I made this small adjustment in this and that. And then I learned this in this last hunt. And this was a, a, a thing that came up like, the elk that you shot in Utah, perfect example. But uh, uh, what people need to understand is even if you're right up close with an elk and say if you have a 20-yard pin, so a 20-yard pin, really the, the arrow's not dropping very far in 20 yards because these arrows are going very fast. It's only like a couple of seconds to get to 20 yards. It's not dropping very much. So you would think that you can shoot an elk that's, six feet away but it comes up that's the thing it goes off the bow and reaches a peak yeah and so so, what happens when it's that close is your eyes is here and the arrows here right so you're you're looking at where you want to hit with that 20 but the arrow's still down here right it hasn't lifted up yet right so to to hit where you want at like where that bowl was which was from here to the door i'd aim up high with the 50 yard pin and then the arrow's going to hit where you want it to. Right. If you had hold 20, it's still low. It's going to go off the brisket off the bottom of the chest. Right. I wouldn't have known that. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. Like, you needed to learn that. Mm-hmm. And that's just years and years in the field. Yeah. And what the hardest thing was, like, it happened like that. Like that. Because I thought that bull, he was coming in. So I had my sight set on 20 because I knew, oh, he's coming hot and heavy. He was bugling, crashing down through. So I set it on 20 real quick. And I'm sitting there. I made a mistake of sitting in the trail, but I thought he was coming straight down the ridge. And so I was gonna draw back when he was like at 10 yards, stop him, whack. But he hit that trail, came right to me. And I'm sitting there on my knees in the trail. And I was a full draw luckily because I I never wait for them to get close. I always draw early. He was where I am. Right, yeah, Yeah. where, where you are. And so I'm like, all that happened in a split second. And I, and then he was like looking over, looking for the, you know, he heard the cow call looking over and then he's like, look down, whack. He but saw you. It was yeah. second, uh, like fractions of a second. See if find that video. Cause it's, but this is a perfect example of, this is something that you learn from many, 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 many hunts. Yeah. Many days. The hard thing there is not getting caught up in the moment. Because it's so emotional and adrenaline, right. so much adrenaline. A giant bull looking, looks, he's seven foot tall right there, basically. And I'm on my knees, not getting. So here it is. Is this the right one? Before I get too far. Let me see. No, no, this isn't it. No, that's, that's, okay. this is a Roosevelt in Oregon. God, listen to that sound. I know. That sounds so amazing. Hey, look at Jelly Roll right there. Hey, Jelly Roll and Nelly. I know. Do you know how That's far awesome. along uh, uh, Well, it's certainly on YouTube. Okay. Is it in your Instagram? Yeah, it's on... Uh, I think it's on YouTube. Not in your Instagram? God, but, I don't think the shot was. So, it's a very unusual situation. But you guys pulled it out, too. It's like the two-yard two yard Utah bull. The but, thing is, it's like... Every step... Whoa, what happened? That's my that's my theme song. <laughs> that's Cam Haynes by Schaefer. You have a song? Yeah. Shut the fuck up. No, it's a bow hunting song. Oh my god, I gotta hear this. No, play play uh, Schaefer Cam Haynes. Who's Schaefer? An artist. He wrote the song for me. Do you know him? 
I don't, I think I did meet him at the, I think at Utah hunting expo, but he wrote this song and I said, I go, I said something about it. And I'm like, well, man, if it's good, I could just have it on to start my, my lift run or the, the, uh, month in the mounds or my, my videos. Oh, the podcast. That's what it was. Example of how your passion can change your life. Even if that passion is something as obscure as bow hunting. Bow hunting changed my life. Your passion, whatever that may be, can change yours. The mountain that raised me, they call me crazy because I can't handle the way that I live. I am the apex, I am a monster. When I am hammering, I do not quit. I got it from Cam, I made up my mind. I'm about to be better than I've ever been. What is the difference between me and you? I'll die a legend before I give in. It's like every step I take, I move my truth. Every time they tell me, stop, I use. Every comment, hate that makes my feel. Gather up my energy and boom. I hear them talking, saying the way that I move is so reckless. That is a part of my mind I've been blessed with. Giving my blood to why I am relentless. My fault. They want someone to blame. They sent the hate. It fuels my pace. I am Roy Tough. I am the change, the fuel, and dirt. Feeling like Cam Haynes. That's pretty badass. As for you got your own song, son. <laughs> yeah, so that anyway, I have it on to start my podcast. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. But Schaefer, he he and he had the Roy Tough on there. I love that. But uh yeah. Well, one of the cool things about Texas is that you can hunt pigs any day of the year, mm-hmm. and they actually need you to do it. And it's it's that important. experience. Oh, it's so important. That experience. So that's what. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Oh. No, that's that's not the that's not the. Uh, see if you can find that uh, that shot because the shot's crazy. Oh, it said it. Yeah. Oh, maybe it'll show you. Maybe it'll show it to you. Two yard Utah. Yeah. Yeah. This is it. This is the most. Watch part of the video. Is the song yeah. playing? No, or is, that's no. why I was stopping. Oh, oh, the song was oh, actually, okay, okay. I had to stop yeah, the song. So okay, this, so here it is. So was Rihanna doing the cow calling? Yeah. And she, she and was behind you. In the filming. She's trying to film. So <laughs> this bull, there's a bull. There it comes. Yeah, that's literally as close as you are to me. Yeah. That was... Uh, and then the the arrow. I mean, he he's down. He's already dead. Yeah. But you can hear him like his last breaths right here. I like this part. She's so excited. Like, she's like, I called you a bull, and I'm like, what? I called you a bull, and I'm like, okay. Can you see him? Yes. You good? Uh, he went down like instantly. Yeah, yeah, thir- yeah, thirty yards. Which in a bull's pace is like literally three or four seconds. Yeah, I mean he, it was crazy how fast he he died, but well, that went right through his heart. The shot when you pull the arrow out. Mm-hmm. Let's see if you can find uh, the image on uh, Instagram. You can see the heart. So, yeah, this is where right it was. And I saw him coming right here. And I saw I went down and I drew like this. And then he came and he's running right at me. I was right here. And you see, right I, I hit him right here. And there's, see there's blood. This went all the way to right there in the front of his chest. Self-defense, basically, because there's no other trail. He's 
He was looking over the top. Rihanna was down there filming and cow calling. You could have got trampled right easily. I was like, I shot from there to right here. Look at this blood right here. And had to hold my 20 up, up here to hit him right in the chest. Almost full penetration. Then he started bleeding right there. And you see on that tree? Wow. I mean, he just gushed and he went right to where true it is. Perfect shot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he went, like he when you want it. to talk about lethality and a quick seconds. ethical kill seconds. seconds see if you can find the image on instagram it shows the heart with the arrow poking out of it which is wild because mm -hmm. it's got this this grim reaper carnivore which is this massive four blade broadhead that just goes through the there, there it is, is right there uh, it's on a video is it yeah i can't control that oh it's okay you could play it, and he's holding oh, I think, up yeah, the heart. Right here. There yeah. it is. You could literally see the arrow poking out of the heart right there. Mm -hmm. That is, that is wild. I mean, that was a perfect shot. Yeah. So that that arrow broke. You saw I yeah. was holding it broke, but that was left in the heart right there. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's what we want. We want those animals. You know, we're trying to offer a merciful death. That one in seconds, thirty yards. He didn't know. He didn't know anything. Yeah. You know, he's just lost blood pressure. Done. Yeah, that was as, as merciful a shot as you could ever give. Yeah, and and as you mentioned earlier about the meat, so, uh, you know, yeah, I killed four bulls this year, and don't, I don't want anybody to ever think that any of that meat is going to waste. I mean, there's so many people who uh, love wild game meat, especially now when you're, you know, people are more conscious about where their meat's coming from. Mm -hmm. And to get something that I killed, I took care of myself, you know, it's, we know exactly where it came from. That's like, that's valuable. That yeah. means something. And it's also, it means something, you know, when people, you know, as we say, people go order a burger or a steak or whatever, they get full and they say, oh, I'm stuffed, I had too much bread. I'm done with this. So half that steak goes back to the kitchen. That was a fucking life. Right. That was, a, that life doesn't mean shit to you, but that bull right there, that means a lot to me. Right. And when I give that meat to somebody, that means something. Right. This is like, oh, yeah, this is a bull I killed in Utah. I hope you like it. That fucking means something. You're not going to send that. You're not going to throw that shit in the garbage because you're full. Right. It, right. it means too much. Yeah. There's reverence to it. That's what. So, yeah, I kill multiple bulls. But that that is the, the greatest part of being a hunter and a provider is sharing that with your community. I love giving it to people. Love I, it. I, I give meat to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I love seeing the images. They send me pictures of like, hey, look, I cooked this. Oh, it's awesome. It's the best. It's cool. And then, you know, the, it's so delicious too. I mean, wild game, I've said it so many times, but if you can try some of the elk that I cook, you'd be like, oh my God, where can I get this? Yeah. Well, you got to go hiking. <laughs> what you got to learn how to shoot a bow or a rifle. You have to... Find someone who's willing to teach you. You have to, you know, you have to put in work. What I love about, I mean, there's so much I love about sharing our lifestyle. But when I have people come in for the lift run shoot is they train with me. They learn how to shoot a bow and everything. But then we always have elk chili. Oh, nice. And like uh, Huberman came in. I think he had three bowls of it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, this shit is fucking fuel. This is real fuel. Yeah. You know, and this is a bull I killed. You know, I think that was from the Arizona bull that I, this is actually, oh, the last time I had my bling on, Tanner made this. Oh, that's from the so, Ivories. So he, he filmed that bull I killed, um, and it was the biggest bull he's ever seen, you know, his, you know, giant bull. And so he made a necklace for himself and made me one. 
last time I had the CH gold bling. So now I'm like, well, we'll offset that with an ivory. But uh, well, you know, Elks used to have they used to have tusks. Oh yeah, I think they did. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. where it comes from. That yeah. ivory at one point in time was a massive tusk that Elks used to have, and then they evolved. It's so and, and it's it went so away. Cool. It's so cool. Just like, I mean. You know, bow hunting, especially, well, not just elk, anything, but it, it means so much. Yeah. And it's just like, it's it's who I am, you know? So when it's something that, that is that meaningful and you can share that, um, another example of that was I took Kat Bradley. She's an elite ultra runner, and she killed her first buck. And it's like the, the most special part, I haven't made a film on that yet, but uh, is she? we had to run. We had to do the stock in the rain, hustle. She made a perfect shot. Um, we had to pack that. She she had some weight on her back, packed out of this steep hole, worked her ass off. It was just like the perfect hunt. Then we took care of the meat, did everything, got up the next morning. We're in this little cabin and uh, made uh, tenderloins, cut that up, cooked the tenderloins, eggs, hash browns, and bacon. And it's just like... Can you, I mean, after working your ass off on a hunt, killing a buck, having a meal like that, listening to old country music radio, just like crackling on this AM radio that was in that cabin, it's like, I, I don't know if there's anything I'd rather do in life. I swear to God, people could offer me anything and I'd say, I'd just rather have this morning right here, this, this experience. Yeah, it's because it's earned. It's, it's, it's so it's real. it's real. Yeah. And lo- when we were out there in the mountain and standing in, and we were fucking soaked, it was pouring. She killed this buck. And I had, you know, me and my buddy Kevin broke it all down, gutted it. We had to actually skinned it and quartered it up right there to pack it out because it's in such a hole. But I'm like looking and we we're just soaked and freezing. And I'm just like, this is life. This is, this is how life is supposed to be. All this other bullshit, all this around here, that's not fucking real. This is real. Right. Out hunting. Primal. Killing what you're going to eat and packing it out of the mountains. That's fucking real. And earning it. You earn that. And it's, everything else is like a distraction over real life. That's why that buck's on the table. That's the first uh, animal I killed. With Stephen Montana. I, yeah. rem- I remember that just from hearing you talk about it and how meaningful it is your first buck in Montana and you, I don't, you didn't make a great shot. Did you? Yeah, it was a good shot, but I had to, I had to do a follow up right, shot. Yeah. He went down, right? but he, he was spined. Oh, okay. That's what it was. And yeah. I made a follow up shot mm-hmm. and you, you could see the follow up shot on the video where it's like the intensity. And but the I remember, the moment. I haven't even seen that, that yeah. I haven't seen that show, but I remember that's now that's stories you remember mm-hmm. cause that's real. Yeah. It's real. And you, you ate that. Yeah. Didn't you guys cook it and oh, eat yeah. it out we there? Oh, yeah, we ate it that night. We ate the liver with liver with onions that night while Brian Callen pulled thorns out of my thigh because uh, I, when I got down prone to make the shot, mm-hmm. I laid down right on a cactus. Mm. And I just cactus thorns all over my leg. Like I, I had like fucking forty thorns in my mm-hmm. leg, and and it was hilarious because like we're by the campfire and I'm going like this. Like, <laughs> I got my pants down, and Callan's got fucking pliers, and he's pulling thorns out of my legs. Um, we we cooked the liver. We ate the liver that night, and then um, we went back because we we shot it late in the afternoon. So we gutted it, hung it, uh, got the organs out. 
and then brought the organs back to the campfire and we cooked the liver that night. And then we went back the next day, cut the buck down in the morning, and then uh, ate it for dinner that night. And then when I when we were eating it, I was like, "This is what I'm doing now." That changed your life, didn't 100%, 100%. it? Hundred percent, hundred percent. But it's so hard to get someone to get you to do that. It's so hard. First of all, it's so hard to find someone who has the knowledge, who's willing to take you and teach you. Like, and I'm forever in debt to Steve and to you for doing that. But to also to want to do that and to, to have, I mean, we were camping. It was nine degrees outside. It's fucking freezing in Montana. You know, we're on the Missouri breaks. It's like you're just walking through these intense canyons. But it was, it was so difficult that when we did have success, the feeling of elation and joy, it's very difficult to describe. A lot of people, they see these um, videos of a hunter making a shot then going like, yeah. And they go, what, where is the spirituality? Where is it like you don't understand how hard it is to mm-hmm. do that? And the joy is in the fact that you made an ethical shot and the animal is down. Like I had a, a hard hunt in California. We went like uh, five, six days, put in tons of miles every day, you know, 10, 10 miles, 8 miles, 11 miles, going through the mountains. And then when I finally shot that bull and he dropped, he was dead in 10 seconds. It was mm-hmm. like a perfect shot. I fucking cheered so loud that Evan and Cody, the the guys like Evan Evan Hafer from Black yeah. Rifle Coffee, who was yeah. hunting with me, mm-hmm. they were on the other side of the mountain and they heard it. Heard you? Because <laughs> yeah. I just went, "Wow!" Yeah. And you know, me and uh, my friend Biscuit, we hugged and it was like, "Holy shit, man!" Yeah. So we did it. We did it. And it wasn't like I'm happy that this animal is dead now. It was like, yeah. no, we were successful. I know how hard it is to do, difficult to do. There was so much adrenaline and tension involved that I had to make a great shot, mm-hmm. and I did it. And so all that hard work all paid off at the end. It's like, all the reps all year. It <sighs> wasn't just that hunt. Yeah. It was like all the, the reps, the thinking about it, the envisioning mm-hmm. that moment. I think about it all the time, dude. I think about it when I'm at the UFC. <laughs> I'm at the UFC, I'm about to call a fight, and I'm thinking about like perfect shots. I'm thinking about shooting in between branches of trees. I'm thinking about like wind and fucking angles and it's well i mean it means so much to me like so on that deer hunt that i took cat on i there's access to this timber company land i pay for that right so i'm paying forty five hundred dollars each and i take two people and it's just like i don't even care i don't even tell them it costs money Right. I just want to do it because I just want to be out there with somebody, a new hunter, and share my world with them. Yeah. And it's I pay just so I'm like, no, I can, I can take them. We can, you know, I can uh, expose them to the hunting lifestyle the way I want to on this, it's a warehouser land, this timber company land, and uh, it's maybe it'll change our life. Maybe it won't, but I know I'm going to gain from sharing that with somebody, and that that means everything to me. I just. You and know, you filmed it too, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, which we is filmed. great. So people can watch it and see like the real moments that yeah. you guys had together. And oh. even if she never does that again, that experience she will keep with her forever. If that hunt that I had with Renell was the last hunt I ever had, I would still be telling people about that today. Yeah, oh, it was awesome. We're in the campfire. We're freezing our asses off, like eating this this animal that we had just shot and eating it, cooking it over a fire, a campfire, and it was so satisfying. Yeah, it it ignites a part of your DNA that you didn't know existed. There's a hunter gatherer 
aspect to whatever it means to be a human that kept us alive for thousands and thousands of years and that's inside you yeah and you don't know it's inside you until you put an animal on the ground you eat it and you're like oh my god it's like the way i describe it to people most people have been fishing there's a feeling you get when you catch a fish. When you hook the line, you're like, yeah. whoa! When you feel it fighting. It is inside of you yeah. that, like, this is going to feed me and my family now. Mm -hmm. This is going to feed my loved ones. This, we're going to survive. And that's why it's so exciting. Because it ignites this thing that was imperative for human beings to make it to 2023. You might be able to go to fucking HEB and just buy a ribeye. That's yeah. great. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But the reality is... That was not always the case. And for us to get to 2023, it had to be people that were doing that shit with bows and arrows that they made themselves. They had to knock rocks to make this. Where's that from? Right there. Right here. Yeah. This is a real fucking arrowhead that the yeah, Comanches used that. from right here. God. This is from right here. I love this. So, I love the history of Someone of probably sent that arrow into a whitetail. And then it probably passed through and dug into the dirt and then someone dug it out of the dirt hundreds of years later. Yeah, that's incredible. And it's in pristine condition, and this was made by some person who painstakingly crafted this so that they could eat. That is a perfect head, it's too. It's fucking amazing. This thing's amazing. Well, but it's like when you, I don't know, people who might not think hunting's for them, maybe it's not, but when that happens and you do kill, there is almost like the curtains pulled back, Yeah. and you're just like, Holy shit. Yeah. This is, this is, this is how, this is survival. Yeah. And you didn't know it because that curtain's been closed. Right. Until you were, th that's why it's so meaningful to me. I, I buy those two hunts every year and my goal is to always take somebody new, mm. you know, just cause it's like, I, it's, it's for me. It's yeah. not for them, but I can like twist it into like, it'll help both of us. But I just, it's. The enjoying the process of know. seeing someone experience it for the first time. I love it. Because you only experience it for the first time once. once. I yeah. love it. Once. And it's a, per, Kat was perfect for that because she got it. You know, she, it meant so much. And like, that's what you want. Because well, obviously she's someone who understands sacrifice and hard work. Yes, definitely. More than anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, it was, uh, I'll never forget it. It was, I seriously think it was the best hunt of, of my fall. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's I had awesome. some, I had some great hunts, yeah. but that's just, that's just what hunting, that's the power of hunting. Yeah. And, and being part of a, I don't want to say tribe because like people throw it around, but. Um, that's a good word. It is. I think bow hunters, the ones who aren't cunty, they are part of a tribe. Even the ones who are cunty, they're in mm -hmm. the tribe. They just have ego problems. Yeah. It's just wasted energy. Yeah. It's wasted energy. Like, if you want to be upset at someone, be upset at the people that litter. Yeah. Be, be upset at the people that leave garbage at their camp. Be upset at those people, because that's not cool. Don't be upset at fellow hunters. Right. Don't, be, don't be, be upset at someone who's trying to spread this message. Yeah. And then there's the, the dumbest fucking people that don't like the fact that the trailheads are getting crowded now, because so many people are getting into this. Well, yeah. find another trailhead, stupid. <laughs> There's a lot of trailheads. You can go all over the place. You yeah. can just, with a little bit of research, there's all these maps, Onyx Hunt and Go Hunt and fucking Hunt and Fool. There's all these places you can get resources to find different places to hunt at. The reason why people like that get a little traction is because there's a lot of people who don't kill every year. Success is, you know, it's most people fail. So when people fail, they're looking for an excuse. So if this guy or whoever it is gives him an excuse like, oh, yeah, it's too overcrowded because of Joe and Cam talking about it, all of a sudden they're the victim. 
and like they got other victims who didn't weren't successful. So like, yeah, we're all the losers. We can gang up together and talk shit about these guys. Dude, we get that here in Austin. There's local Austin comics that hate on the mothership because mm-hmm. the mothership has brought in 15 world class comedians in right. town. It's harder for them to get spots now. Mm-hmm. Guess what, stupid? This get is the better. greatest opportunity you've ever had in your fucking life. If get you rise better. to the occasion, we'll put you up and make you famous, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, man. We want you to be good. Right. We don't want you to be floundering in this fucking uh, this area of mediocrity that you've been existing in for so long. Like. Yeah, the big boys are in town. Yeah. It's good. It's good for everybody. And people with hunting, they like to talk about that everybody should have the same opportunities. It's like almost like making it uh, hunting socialism. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And so, well, if if you work your ass off, shouldn't you get better opportunities than somebody who doesn't do anything? Of course. I mean, but but if, and also, the guy who kind of coins this thing about um, whatever, Everybody should have the same opportunities. It's like he has a great job, gets tons of vacation. Doesn't he have an advantage over a guy who works in a mill who gets fucking two days off a year? Well, there's a lot of people that complain, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. There's, it's just complaining is a normal part of human life when you're looking at other people's success and trying to find flaws in it. Mm-hmm. But it's very bad for you. And that's what people don't understand. It's not productive. It doesn't help you. And you could disagree or agree with people's approaches. You could th- think that everyone should only hunt on public land. You could you could have all these ideas, and, and you could debate those opinions, and you're more than welcome to. The problem is when you look to criticize instead of look at the good side of things, there's a lot of good to this. There's a lot of good to what you do. It's more good than anything. There's I, I see no negatives. The, the, the Educating people about the value of this is very good. And during COVID, that's one of the the real times where people realize, like, hey, this food chain's kind of fragile. Mm-hmm. Like, I went to the supermarket. There's no fucking food. Like, Duncan texted me. Um, he was at a supermarket in North Carolina where he's living, and he's like, dude, there's no meat. Mm-hmm. There's no fucking meat. He goes, I got to learn how to hunt. I was like, wow. that That is a moment when you have children and you have a family, and you start yeah. realizing, like, we, we might not have nutrition. No. And they're looking at you, and you're the mm-hmm. leader of the family, and you're, like, going, what the fuck am I going to do? Right, and now you realize, like, oh, my God, I need another skill. I'm susceptible, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah we're all vulnerable. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, for the most part, we're not. Obviously, for the most part, we do have supermarkets. We do have food, and that's all great and everything. But we're trying to tell you that there is – another way that's vastly more rewarding. It might not be available to you because you might not have the time. You might have a job that requires you to work 51 weeks a year, then you have a family and a lot of obligations. And I understand, but don't hate on people that can. Yeah, exactly. It's stupid. It's it's just a waste of your time. It's a waste of everybody's time. And you're just going to get a bunch of losers that like you. Yeah. Because they're going to be like, yeah, socialism's awesome. (laughs) I know. It's it's crazy. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel... I feel, I mean, it's one reason why if we can educate people like when Andrew comes or like the other quote outliers who I've had on who might not be hunters, but can go and take these, the lessons archery teaches you. And maybe we talk about hunting mm-hmm. and then they go back to their peer groups or whatever it yeah. is, their constituents. And they're saying, well, actually I did learn this about hunting. And, yeah. and so we're, and your podcast has done that obviously, you know, educated so many people who don't know anything about hunting on the benefits to it. But it's, um, I, I don't know. It's so important. Um, and, and we're not saying everybody needs to hunt, but just have a, just have a, uh, honest take on it. Yeah. And I think that there's real value in doing something that's very difficult. 
whether it's hunting or ultramarathon running or jujitsu or whatever it is that you choose to approach, there's real value in doing difficult things. And the thing that about bow hunting that makes it so special to me is that it requires so much of you. And so that when you are successful, it's so rewarding. It's, it's insanely rewarding. It's an, a rewarding on a different level that most people don't understand. Mm-hmm. And many people never get to experience in life. They get, never get to experience that moment where you have to make this split-second decision and you're drawing on an animal and you have one arrow to make this happen. Yeah. You have one arrow and it might be 65 yards away. And you and you, that fucking pin's moving around. You got to settle that pin and settle your heart rate, and and you have to be confident in your training, and then release that perfect arrow. And when you watch it, to this day, one of the happiest moments of my life was you and I. <laughs> in Utah. I, I know it's the that picture right out that here. we have right out yeah. here. That photo with that that elk was sixty seven yards, and yeah. you're like, draw back, draw back, yeah. take him, buddy. And yeah. it just you see that arrow with that lighted knock just sail and schwap. And hit perfectly. Oh, God. And, you know, if you didn't know how much that meant and how much pressure that was and how how much was riding on it, we were, like, smiling and hugging and I yeah. love you. Yeah. And, like, if you didn't understand, you'd look at that and go, what is wrong with these guys? Right. Right? But it's there's so much riding on it. Yeah. And so it's just that, you know, you achieve this monumental goal with somebody sharing it with people you care about because Colton was there too. Yeah. And uh, it's, I mean, until you've been there, it's, you probably shouldn't criticize because well, if you were there, you'd understand. It's hard for people to understand also because a lot of people's exposure to hunting has been hunting television shows. Right. So if you watch a television show, basically they're preaching to the con- to the converted already and they're doing these shows for other hunters and w- who are going to understand this and they're condensing a seven, eight, nine day trip into 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. And out of those 22 minutes, like there's 35 seconds, 45 seconds of the shot and the animal running away and then dropping and then everybody cheering. Yeah. And it's just a disproportionate experience for people that are watching it. You're mm-hmm. not getting how hard it is. You're not getting the eight, 10 miles in the mountains with elevated heart rate and how exhausted you are at the end of the day when your legs feel like rubber and you're pounding electrolytes and you're fucking eating like a starving person. And then you look at your watch like, I better go to bed right now. Yeah, I'm going to get, get up at four five. hours of sleep. Yeah, yeah. I got to go to bed right now. Mm-hmm. And then you get up and you do it all over again. You drink some coffee and you get out there and you, you know, you check your sight, you check your bow, let's go, you know, and People that have never experienced that, they're, they're, they're not going to understand it. Mm-hmm. But I think you do an amazing job of, of, of relaying it to people where they kind of get a glimpse without actually experiencing it. They kind of understand it from your passion, from your, your ability to explain it, your ability to like be like totally honest about the emotions and the feeling and the dedication, the hard work and what's required of it. It's not a fucking easy thing to do. And... Even rifle hunting. Rifle hunting is not easy. No. It's easier right. than bow hunting, but it is not fucking easy. No. It's hard. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that presentation, especially nowadays, is important. And I, I, I was reminded of this, you know, went and trained with Rich Froning in Nashville. And uh, he's bow hunting too now, right? He's bow hunting, but he killed a bear with a rifle in Colorado and he put up he's getting death threats and everything because he's a CrossFit, you know, world's fittest man four times. He's a complete freak. 
but he's like been enamored with hunting now. And so he killed this bear this year, a big bear in Colorado, a big boar. And uh, he had a picture because he worked his ass off. He got, you know, didn't kill a bull, I think, the last two years. Uh, killed a cow with a rifle. But just, you know, how hard hunting is. Yeah. And he's just trying to learn on his own out there. And so he gets this bear killed. He's happy. He's got a picture of this big bear and a big smile. And I just told him, I said, that is hard. That's hard for people and I learned the hard way. It's like mm-hmm. I made the same mistake too. So now I build the story. I share, you know, the exper- the animals out there, the country out there. I don't share, share the kill shot till after I've shared breaking it down and the meat and what it means. And then at the end of all that, you'll see the kill shot. But because he's a new hunter and he's just was fired up, he's a big smile with that bear and that's the post. Yeah, And he, no fault of his, like anybody would do that. But with social media, it's like, they'll crucify you if that's all, all, and especially with the bear. And I told him, you know, obviously he knows now, I didn't have to tell him anything, but bear and lions, it's a yeah. rough one. You, be- lions, yeah. you better be explaining that whole journey yeah. before you get to that kill shot. And I, you know, I feel bad because nobody wants to read that, you know, they want to kill you or kill your family because right. you killed some animal. But, um, it's, it's just, I've learned over the years that it's, I mean, you just, there's so many people go like my page will get to 30 million people in a week. There's 14 million hunters. That means most of those people aren't hunters. I better be explaining part of it to them too, yeah. Yeah. you know? And so that's, that's and the, the odds are that all 14 million hunters are looking at it. That's small too. Yeah. So it's yeah. probably only a couple million hunters. Right. Right. And most of it's probably non-hunters. Right. So it's like we have to think about that. Yeah. And like his group, a CrossFit group, of course they all eat meat. You know, you can't have right. that muscle, but they still don't hunt. Right. So it, it's like that dance of explaining. And mm-hmm. now he's so enamored with it. Like most of his podcasts now are hunting. <laughs> and so people are like, "Wait, is this?" Are you the CrossFit guy or the hunter? You know, like he just loves hunting now. It's all he thinks about. Well, he's a strong man. Yeah. He's got a strong mind. He can navigate this. Mm-hmm. But that is a... Oh, he's a, fine with it. He's it's fine. A, a great message, the way you uh, describe the way you have a process for it. And I've seen your process evolve over the years. Yeah. Where you realize, like, okay, let me lay this out in the best way possible. Where it's going to... Re- people are going to really understand as much as they can from social media posts. Right. Because without a podcast and people talking, without videos of you actually being, and the video literally should be eight days long. You know, yeah. The video literally should be <laughs> the amount the, of time. An accurate yeah. portrayal, yeah. Or at least a day. Like mm-hmm. you should see like what's involved in the stock and all that stuff. Like nobody would want to watch it because it fucking takes forever. Yeah. Before you act, everybody wants to cut to the chase. Yeah. Like when does the elk c- come into the canyon? When did he see it? When do you when do you make the stock? But, yeah. Like even that. Um, most people wouldn't show like on that bull I killed in Arizona. I hit a little back and I caught the the lung and the liver and he went up and I thought he was going to go die right there. I thought at first it was perfect till I looked at reviewed the footage, but I had to shoot him again. Most people making hunting TV wouldn't have showed all that. Right. They would have showed the one shot went up to the animal dead. Yeah. I wanted to show that, you know, there's it weighed, it was like killing me seeing that animal not, not dying like that because I, and then a bear went, 
walked right below him, got him up. He was on the verge of death. A bear got his adrenaline jacked up again. And then he moved off like 30 yards. And I'm just like, it was just killing me. So I took my boots off, snuck up there to 72 and shot him. But that was real. Yeah. And most people don't see real because we've, we've watered down what we show on TV to make it fit this, oh, you know, made a good shot. Animal died after 50 yards and seconds. That doesn't always happen, unfortunately. Well, it's, and also like just the consumption of meat in general. Most people have never been to a slaughterhouse. Mm. Most people have never seen it, including me. I've never seen a cow get a bolt in the head. Yeah, it's terrible. And I've eaten so many cows. It's terrible. It's the process used to be absolutely normal. If someone saw that you had venison and you described the kill, they're like, yeah, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. That is how you get venison. Yeah. That is the only way to get our meat. And everyone did it forever until the last hundred years. Which is so crazy yeah. that it's become controversial over Only the last now. hundred years. Only now when we have other options yeah. and life's so comfortable. And places where it's not normal to hunt, but yet the average consumption of meat is very high, like the UK or Brazil. In Brazil, I have friends that have posted photos you know, that are uh, from all around the world. And they get hate from these people from Brazil, mm -hmm. which they're famous for steakhouses. Yeah, I know Brazilian Brazil steakhouse. Brazilian churrascarias are yeah, amazing. Yeah, all the meat you want. Yeah, you literally all you can eat meat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but they don't have a history of hunting. No. So because they don't have a history of hunting, they don't understand it, and they don't. They don't. Why would you do that when you could just go to the supermarket? And I and I say that it's terrible with the the cow with the bolt through the head. I just feel bad. I I don't like watching even the animals I kill. I don't like watching them die. Yeah. I don't. I, I love animals. Yeah. So when I say it's 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 awful for the cow, it's just I feel bad for it. That's yeah. it. That's yeah. it. I understand it has to happen. I mean, I kill myself. But it's like, does it mean that I enjoy the act of killing? No. No one enjoys the act of killing. You enjoy the and success not, and the meat and the fact that it's done quickly and cleanly. And, uh, you know, we've been guilty of this before, like kind of, kind of uh, um, mentioning uh, factory farms and not giving credit to ranchers that, right. that do it right so it's not like every cattle operation is terrible There's right some... i've had a bunch of ranchers on to sort yeah. of try to correct yeah. that and so explain to people so it's not that when i said it's terrible i don't want i don't want any negative because there's some great ranchers out there and beef is like the staple of of uh the meat that we eat here in this country so it's we've got to do it right yeah but it's just a symptom of the culture that we live in that most of the time it's not done right that's mm -hmm. what's so crazy what's so crazy is people like uh my friend will harris who runs uh, white oak pastures yeah in i Georgia. saw that book right there yeah he's amazing mm -hmm. and he's so, i mean that guy really really put in effort it took him 20 years to convert his family farm from an industrial farm to a regenerative farm mm -hmm. it took immense resources and time and they knew it was going to make them less money and he still did it and he did it and he's out there preaching the gospel and telling people that this is the way nature is supposed to be handled and that what he does at his farm which is an amazing place is he recreates nature in a contained environment mm. and these animals all live naturally the pigs live naturally the chickens live naturally that i mean he was explaining the entire process mm. of it and it's That's incredible great. it's incredible and it's very difficult to do what and what he's done is pretty amazing and he has friends that are running these industrial farms that are right next to him and the difference in the impact 
when you see like the impact that it has on the the river system that he has near him, like the difference between his river with the runoff from his farm, which is nothing, to the one next to it, just like completely pollutes the river, and yeah. there's no. There's no regulations on that. There's no regulations on how much herbicides and pesticides and fucking industrial fertilizer just gets washed into the streams and chokes the fish to death. There's no no one's yeah. paying attention to that. Hmm. Well, and he's doing it right. That guy's doing it right. And kudos to him. And they and I try to highlight those people as much as possible. It's him or Joel Salatin who runs Polyface Farms. And there's a bunch of great regenerative ranchers in here right, mm-hmm. in Texas. Hmm. And you know we get Rome Ranch, and we, we you know we get a lot of our meat. If we buy steaks, we try to get it from those places. It's just I'm getting fucking hungry. I'm getting hungry too. <laughs> yeah. I do. Before we wrap up, I got to say one more, one more thing. Okay. We gotta we gotta give credit to Jelly Roll. I love that. I guy. love Jelly Roll. No, we talked about him last time, and I think we even listened to his songs. But I finally saw him live. Oh, he's amazing at the Opry. He was like the. the Fucking, I mean, I could, if I think about how nice he is, I would, I could almost, I, I don't want to say I'm going to cry, but it's like, he is so nice, dude. Yeah, he's a It's like he, he treated me like family. Yeah. I mean, he was, we went out to dinner and then even after the show, he's just like, he goes, what would you think of my family? I mean, he cares. Yeah. He is such a big hearted person. And I'm like, it was amazing how welcoming and kind and thoughtful and puts on an amazing show talks to the people like makes people cry when he's talking to him in between songs because he's so heartfelt yeah he's been through so much but he's like i don't there's yeah. you and him and nelly that's yeah. awesome and i don't know how you know i don't know how he was back in the day you know but all i know is i know he made mistakes i know he's been in jail i know he's whatever but now I don't know a, a nicer, more. I don't know a better person. Yeah, he's been through a lot. He's he's and incredible. He came out on the other end, an amazing he's, person. He's fucking nominated for two Grammys. I know. What crazy? a journey. What a journey. I mean, I just, I just look at him like you would never imagine. Look at that guy. When you hear no, him sing, you're like, whoa. No, and what you know, Tanner mentioned this too. He's when people first see him, they're like. Oh, this, you know, he's got tattoos on his face. Tanner says, after you get to talk, he goes, you don't even see the tattoos. Right. You right. see, you see this, this pure soul. Yeah. And it's like, ta- what tattoos? Yeah. I fucking don't see shit. So yeah. like you get distracted by that at first, but when you talk to him and realize, you know, what a loving person he is, you're just like, I don't see anything. Yeah. I, I see just this big hearted man. That's the same thing with Post Malone. Yeah. Yeah. You got to meet him. He's amazing. I love that dude to death. He He's said, so fucking talented too. We saw him perform in Houston. My wife and I flew to Houston to watch one of his shows. Really? Oh, it was amazing. And then we we're hanging out with him afterwards. Yeah. He's, he wants to play Magic the Gathering. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Those artists, I just, I don't know. There's different people, but they're so, I don't know. It's, uh, it's pretty inspiring. Yeah, he's very inspiring. Uh, it, when he gave me that platinum record and we p- posted oh, it out there, you saw it. I can't believe it. I did. It's couldn't incredible. It. It was incredible. What, what a great gift. Well, here and here's another thing, too. He said when he was a kid, he used to dream about having records like that. Yeah. You know, like have it all. And and he goes, now, he goes, now, he goes, what I want. So we went to the show at the Opry, but then the next day, I, I had to go oh train with Rich. But then he said, you know, can you meet for lunch at the Soul House or whatever. And I said, yeah. So he's like, I want you to sign my book. He's like, because, or your book, he had my Endure book. And he's like, 
I used to think that I wanted records on the wall. He goes, but now I want a book signed by you. <laughs> that's what, that's what I want. And he had like gloves from, uh, I think a fight. Um, I can't remember whose gloves, like UFC gloves, but it's like, it's, that's what means something to him now, yeah. not the personal accolades, right? but I just, oh God, I can't, I can't talk enough positive about that guy. Such, he's such a warm soul. The first incredible. time I met him, I met him at the mothership. He came there to see yeah. uh, Ron White, and I was, uh, that was when the f club had first opened, and I was kind of there just hanging out, making sure everything was running right, because we had just gotten open. And then uh, they said, hey, Jelly Roll's here to see Ron White. And then, uh, you know where the green room is? Yeah. At the club? Mm -hmm. He was coming up the stairs, and I was walking out, and I saw him, and he just goes, what's up? <laughs> this big, giant hug. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's everything I hoped he would be. He's oh. amazing. Uh, There's beautiful people in the world, man. You know, you he's meet one, him. He's one of them. They change the way you feel about the way you interact with people. And oh, I, he he makes me. I, I that's what I said when I got home. It makes me want to be a better person. Yes. Because I saw how he treated everyone. Like there'd be people on the sidewalk, and there'd be like you know these little old old women and or not old, probably my age. Fuck, what am I talking about? But like so like caught off guard, like, oh my God, Jelly Roll's here. And he's like, what's up, mama? How you doing? How you doing tonight? Give him a big hug. Yeah. Just like looking him in the eye mm -hmm. and just the sweetest person, just some some person walking by. Yeah, because that's a guy where life gave him a fucking terrible hand and he mm -hmm. got through it and he came out on the other end and now he's amazing. You know, now it's like this amazing journey that he can like really, truly appreciate every aspect of it. And he's so good at expressing that. He's so good at spreading that love, spreading that positivity. And it really does make you want to be a better person. It makes me want to be a better person. Oh, Both man. him and Post, they make me want to be nicer to everybody. I, yeah, I've never. And I try real hard to be nice to everybody. <laughs> I, you do a great I try job. So hard. You do. You do an amazing job. But it's like you don't do as good as him. No. <laughs> It's like there's there's levels there's levels to everything. It's just like yeah. his I think his eyes are just so kind too. Yeah, because it's like what I see, and we said this the last time, but like you see the pain he's, you see pain in his eyes still mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah, or I do. Yeah, and or I don't know. You see it in his music. You hear it. You hear it. You hear it for sure. You can't be that soulful unless you've experienced some dark, dark, dark times. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some you know. There's some magic to the way he sings that I just don't, you don't get that from a trust fund, baby. No. You, know, you, you get that from a hard life, man, and coming out on the other side as this like beautiful creation of love and, and creativity. And that's that dude. That's the real thing, man. You know, that's not an act. That's him 24 7. And it's no. amazing. And it's very inspirational and it's, it's very good for everybody. It's good for everybody. It's for, good for everybody he encounters. He was like, you know, he was so busy after the show and they had to do uh, promo stuff at, at the, after the Opry. So we took off and then he told me, he's like, he goes, oh, he goes, I didn't, you know, I didn't get to say goodbye to Tanner. I took Tanner to the show and his girlfriend. And he's like, I said, oh, I think you said goodbye. He's like, oh, I didn't give him a, like a good hug to say goodbye. <laughs> and he's like, I mean, thinking about even that. I know. Just about my son it's just there he is his speech at the yeah end. oh did yeah. you did you let's see play that? this yeah, we, we can end with the yeah. speech because okay. this speech is fucking incredible um i think it's queued up you got a second and i'm gonna, I'm gonna say a lot and i'm sorry but the quickest i can say it is thank you to the label stony creek management john loba joe jamie you saved my life country radio what's up baby 
I got a thousand people to thank you, but most importantly, my Lord and my wife, I love you so much, you changed my life, baby. Megan Parker, Haley, I love all y'all, we're friends. And Zach Brown, I think you are one of the hottest things on earth, not just country music. You deserve this as much as anybody else. I love you, I'm glad we're sitting there partying the rest of the night, baby. <laughs> There is something poetic about a 39-year-old man winning New Artist of the Year. I don't know where you're at in your life or what you're going through, but I want to tell you to keep going, baby. I want to tell you success is on the other side of it. I want to tell you it's going to be okay. I want to tell you that the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror for a reason. Because what's in front of you is so much more important than what's behind you. Let party <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. He's a preacher. I, that's what I told him. He's a preacher. I said, dude, if this music thing doesn't work out, you could be a preacher. 100%. You should, because we prayed before, or at dinner and then before a show, and it was just like the most incredible prayer I've ever, ever heard. And I'm just like, this, your calling might be a pre to be a preacher. Well, he's kind of doing it through his music, and it's oh, reaching it's, more people that way. So powerful. Yeah. I love that guy. I love that guy, too. <laughs> I love you, too. Uh, All right. Likewise. All Bye, right, everybody. Thank you. Keep coming.